Hey, this is Mike Herrera. You're listening to Magnified Pod. This is a yelling podcast. From poking at you to plans and everything in between, this is Magnified Pod, the only podcast that discusses culture, religion, politics, and the entire discography of everyone's favorite left coast punks, MXPX. And in and, today's case... And in today's case... Uh, Chicago punk rock legends, much the same. That is correct. <laughs> I'm Andrew. I'm John. This is our podcast, and this is the first interview podcast, in-person interview podcast I feel like we've done... In a while. It's been a while. It's been a while. And so with us today, we have Chris McGrath, lead singer of uh, Chicago punk band, much the same. Chris? Hello. So, so glad to have you here. Yeah, it's great to be here. Welcome to our basement playroom slash studio. Yeah, it's we we uh, pulled out all the stops yeah, at yeah. Magnified Studios West. That's right. Um, we do have Magnified Pod Legend Harriet <laughs> yeah. um, to your left, yeah. snoozing adorably. Yeah, <laughs> the dog is always nearby. <laughs> yeah, whenever we record, she needs to she needs to be around. It's it's just it brings it brings me great comfort. So <laughs> well, it's nice that she knows that and just yeah goes and lays down there. Yeah, she right. she greets me at the door every time I come. I'm sure she does that for pretty much everybody, but yeah. it makes me feel yeah makes me feel special. Yeah. Man. Um. So before we launch into the the proper interview uh, portion of this episode. Um, there's something that we, as we <laughs> briefed you, uh, before we started was our obsession with, with Starbursts <laughs> and sitting before you, I've got two, you have two. <laughs> yes. It is a red, which is the cherry and the pink, which is the strawberry. Did you know they had particular flavors other than just red and pink? <laughs> this is something um, we're, we're discovering is that not everybody knew that pink was even strawberry uh i did know i'm a fan these are my favorite uh and uh one of the most traumatizing things that has ever happened to me is getting one of those you know when your kids are trick-or-treating or or whatever and you get the little two yeah yeah two things and they were both yellow oh Uh, this is really this is why this is why i know we're gonna get along (laughs) we uh we have some diehard yellow fans uh who were they are, psychopaths? <laughs> what was the? Uh, you lem, didn't bring lem, them here, did you? They're not here today. They're Lemonheads. Here. Uh, they prefer to go by Lemonheads. They prefer to go by Lemonheads. <laughs> um, but but you know, do you know? It's funny that so many people are so opposed to yellow. Um, but do you know what I don't hear anybody talk about? It's orange. Yeah. Nobody yeah, has orange. Is just it's, it's fine. In the middle. It's fine. It's hanging out. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's, it's fine. It's fine, but the the lemon just the the one hack that we've learned mm-hmm. is if you take a lemon and you put it together with a strawberry, it's sort of you get this kind of like pink lemonade kind of thing going. No, <laughs> you're not, not into it. No, <laughs> you're just gonna let it. Just I mean, let it be. You know, why ruin a good thing with a terrible thing? Right. Fact. <laughs> Fact. I mean, most people, it comes down to red or pink, but 
we want to know on the record is it is it red or is it pink for you so so i think i always think red is my favorite mm-hmm. and then i have the pink and then i realize that the pink is better right. i think that's the way it goes but i definitely enjoy both it seems to be consensus i feel like i'm pretty lonely on the red front i mean it's close yeah, it's it is sure. close i yeah. mean you were correct um before we even started, and I pointed them out to you on the table, you're like, well, those are two, the two best flavors. I'm like, yes, that's right. That's that is accurate. It was an accident, which is good. Yeah. What do you do when you leave two of these sitting here on a desk and they go, where's the yellow? Right, right, yeah. I we, mean, do you just make them leave? politely and firmly <laughs> ask them to leave. This interview is over. It hasn't even started, and it is done. So Speaking of politely asking someone to leave, this is already a tangent, but a friend of <laughs> mine is, sent me... This is our... That is our... Good. That's our sweet spot. Just today, a friend of mine sent me a picture. Uh, he was in... I won't get into the whole story, but he was in Canada, and sure. something went wrong, and he was asked politely <clears throat> to leave and never come back. And, to Canada? Uh, the nation? Yeah. Um, wow. And so they gave him this very nicely worded letter... That the heading was allowed to leave Canada, and then it said you are formally allowed to, re- you know, uh, request to leave and leave immediately. And then at the very bottom, it says you acknowledge that you agree to leave immediately, <laughs> but you are allowed to Fair. leave immediately. Yeah, it was yeah. like that's the nicest guess. Get way. the f out yeah, you could yeah. ever ask for. <laughs> so like, what did he? Did he like yeah, talk shit about pretty... Tim Hortons or um, like? Did he like throw poutine on the ground? What happened? I don't know the whole story. <laughs> I know that he is a felon oh. and was there out of the kindness of the government's heart, and then he did something to. Th- someone in the government or something or had an interaction that yeah. was not appropriate i'm not quite sure he's kind of an activist so okay gotcha yeah. gotcha gotcha so they were just like yep never mind <laughs> but anyway i just thought that was hilarious yeah, that it was amazing. so kind yeah you were allowed to leave yeah. <laughs> please never come back here's right. your complimentary maple syrup <laughs> right uh, goodbye he should definitely frame that uh letter i mean he had it on hand to take a picture <laughs> right. of so okay perfect <laughs> Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, you know, moving on from Starburst, I feel like the other important thing we've been talking about before we started recording is fantasy novels. Yeah. Which you're a big fantasy head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, yeah. Do you want to just say what you were saying about, uh, Brian Sanderson? Oh yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm a big fantasy fan, have a huge bookshelf of way too many, uh, books, which you can actually see. A little bit in the video okay. that we just released, uh-huh. kind of in the background. Um, but uh, yeah, I've had the opportunity to to do what they call gamma reading, which is like volunteer proofreading uh, for, I think, one really big Brandon Sanderson novel and one novella, okay. uh, and then two or three books from another guy named Michael J. Sullivan that I really like. So, okay. um, but. Uh, yeah, so that's really fun. So I was, just, yeah, I was just saying that uh, I got the opportunity to hear them say my name in the audio book from like this famous uh-huh. uh, narrator that I've been listening to for years, which was really weird. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> but it was rad. nice to have me in the acknowledgments for something, you know, New York Times bestseller. That's, yeah, yeah. A, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I feel like what. So what I was asking before is like when it comes to fantasy, the real purists are like totally out on Game of Thrones. Where do you stand? 
So I actually refuse to read it, okay. but only because he takes so long. Like, it's not done yet. It's just it's too long. I don't mind reading oh, okay. unre- unfinished things. I have sure. a lot of unfinished series. I'm in the middle it's of. It's kind of normal but, in fantasy to not. But really like complete. ten years between novels, you know, and there's yeah. at least two left. Yeah. It, no I'm just gonna wait. Sure. I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna okay. read it all at once, and so I haven't watched the show. Okay. Just I have Dan actually our guitar player is a enormous game of thrones fan like uh-huh. has read the books over and over and over and he was never really into that kind of stuff before sure. yeah game of thrones he's into history and politics and stuff so he's a gigantic fan and uh actually there are a bunch of lyrical references to game of thrones and things that really? martin has said like snuck into the nice. album so well, now i'm gonna might, be looking yeah we might mention a couple of those but. there's that chorus all about dragons which makes more sense now <laughs> uh, anyway. um have you have you ever watched the show party down no no oh, that's okay. so good it's it's i've uh, never even heard of it so. it's, yeah it was it was like two seasons it was on stars like mm-hmm. it was adam scott pre parks and recreation i'm not sure if you ever watched okay. parks and rec yeah but there is a martin star was in party down and his character roman he he identified himself as hard sci-fi and that's when you guys were talking about like the purity of of fantasy it made me think of like hard sci-fi so you gotta like there's a delineation between like the people that think about like star wars as sci-fi which is really fantasy which is like you know like fantasy western space western you know yeah oh hard sci-fi yeah it's a thing. I'm not yeah. super into it. I have some books. I've tried it. It's a little uh it's a little too like they get really excited about a scientific idea and yeah. write a thousand page novel about it and often don't remember that there should be a story. Sure, sure. Um that's my impression anyway. Some people would kill me for saying that, but I think it's fair. <laughs> I don't know how many hard sci fi I know we do we do some have some uh Lord of the Rings uh buffs. Hard Hard Lord of the Rings. And I actually am very much not, which surprises a lot of my... Like, I have huge arguments with my nerdy friends. I'm pretty nerdy. Okay, well, (laughs) let's... um, Can you uh, briefly break down uh, your issue that you take with... Because this this seems to be like, you know, if you're like a fantasy guy uh, and you... I don't know, I just... I'm going to... I'm going to... I'm going to say some things that have made my friends very angry. Um, So I read The Hobbit in high school. I wanted to read Lord of the Rings and then learned I should read The Hobbit first or I don't know where I got that. But so I tried to read it. I got a couple chapters in and remember thinking this is really like a children's book. And I didn't know that. I wasn't expecting it. So I kind of put it aside. And so then again, I went probably five years ago ish or something like that and read it again and like powered through and just hated the whole experience (laughs) and um and realized it's because if you read like the first couple of pages it's basically winnie the pooh like the way he talks about everything it's just that exact voice (laughs) so that's annoying but what's more annoying is that um every chapter has deus ex machina in it where you know it's just like nothing resolves naturally it's always some magical thing that saves the day for no nothing makes sense yeah so uh a lot of people would argue you know well i've heard good arguments about why it's a good book and i can i can kind of i can see it but it just and i read it to my son who was six or seven at the time 
and we read a lot of I mean he we he was five and we were reading all like all the Harry Potters and everything and and we got about halfway through the Hobbit and he's like Daddy can we read something better <laughs> and I was like wow. my son okay <laughs> <laughs> like I I did not I don't think I influenced that at all but um, that's pretty good yeah so what about Harry Potter yeah we're a Harry Potter fan okay, okay. family we are uni- we are a house united tonight for yeah. Harry Potter yes uh, I said that like a Canadian speaking <laughs> a house united a house uh okay <laughs> so i'm glad i'm accepted into the, <laughs> yeah, well yeah. i mean i just i just i don't know i i, I have one more thing about um kind of fantasy stuff and this uh i don't know this might you both might throw me out because i feel like the way your friends feel about your conviction about lord of the rings um people feel about my conviction about how dune is unbearable oh that's rough yeah <laughs> like that's a rough take to have yeah, yeah. i'm not uh yeah i'm not a fan of that no but... i know i know no trust me but there's it's... a piece of it that's unbearable in the middle somewhere but i it, yeah like i it's i know i know it's not a popular opinion but like it 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 was um one of the most excruciating wow that's... uh novel uh novels that i've ever experienced those are strong words i know yeah. well but uh, hey it's it's, it's punk to be you know have you an unpopular I'm opinion anti-establishment <laughs> anti-frank herbert the establishment yeah. is yeah frank herbert yeah. um what do you think about the new movie coming out like, uh sounds pretty cool right i i look forward to i'm i'm yeah. cautiously optimistic yeah, yeah, yeah. every time they adapt anything sure. um it's usually a disappointment on some level but uh, there are rare occasions like I read The Magicians and mm. just hated it and then watched right. the show. And I mean, it was a cheesy MTV kind of, you yeah. know, millennial. It's got some cheese. Whatever. But I enjoyed it much more than the book. So um, so you never know. What's It looks pretty cool from everything that I'm hearing about it. Um, but Is what's, Kyle, M- Kyle McLaughlin coming back? He's not in this one. <laughs> uh, but um, what's the... What's the? I think it's only one novel, and it was like planned as a series, but she didn't do more. Where it's like a pair of magicians, and it's like um, maybe like 18th century England. Oh, uh, uh, it's like somebody in Mister Jonathan. Somebody. Yeah, Jonathan yeah. Strange and Mister Norrell. Yes, yeah, I love that one. Yeah, <laughs> That's I haven't. All I have to oh, the you. show. Yeah, I love the show and the book. Okay, I haven't um, seen or read. Okay. I have the book, which is. Anybody who knows me and is listening to this is going to laugh because that's usually like 75% of the things we talk about. Right. Oh, I haven't read it, but I have, I have it. it. Yeah, Because I, <laughs> I went on like a seven-year bargain book uh, spree nice. and have around 1,100 novels and have read about a third of them. So. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm working my way through them, but uh, I keep buying more, so that doesn't help. Well, if you come over the history of much the same lyrics perhaps you'll see references to fantasy things uh yeah easter eggs etc uh so a little context of the band for maybe those who don't know you guys formed in 1999 (laughs) (laughs) uh they should know uh 99 right that's when you first okay uh Ish. Maybe '98 really was when it started somewhere in there, but our first show was '99, so that's kind of when I say it started. Okay, and then um, the records you put out were in '03 and '06, um, and '06 was Survive, which is now out on vinyl. Will be out by 
the time this episode drops, I think. Yeah, so uh, June 14th, okay. 2019 is when it comes out. So If people don't know Survive, you need to know Survive. So pick up that vinyl, uh, the album rules. I, I, when, you know, when you had announced that um, the email or some post about um, pre-orders for the vinyl, but it was like, like a lot of it was like Canada or Europe. And I was right. like, I'm like, did I forget? Is it, what days is, is it coming out in the States? And I came to realize, yeah, I was not that last week, but, um, so I, John and I have talked about this a bunch of times that somehow being in Chicago, being a huge punk rock fan as a as uh as a young kid somehow you slipped under the radar for me and it it's such a bummer that i didn't know your music uh i feel like i've been robbed of like 16 (laughs) years of being a fan of the band because but like now i'm 100% 100% on board. I think Survive was the first album I heard and I was like, holy shit, this is so in my wheelhouse of everything that I love. And um, so when I discovered, when I d- heard that album, then you guys are coming out with this new music. I felt like this is such a gift yeah. for all the fans who have been like, struggling for the past 13 years with you know without a full album (laughs) this is i feel like i'm i feel like it's like you know uh it's a blessing and a curse i guess that i get to have all you know experience and listen to your back stuff while at the same time um getting to get the new music right away as i'm you know i guess that yeah that's nice you don't have to wait (laughs) (laughs) yeah right um yeah well thanks i'm i'm really glad to hear you say that and it it both surprises me and doesn't like we're not a huge band that's fine and and i'm and it's yeah who knows how many people out there haven't heard it and yet i hear all the time like oh yeah much the same that's the band that i saw 15 times without ever actually wanting to because (laughs) we just opened for everybody we could um which we're very lucky to have a lot of cool shows back in the day um and then we broke up for eight years and had families and stuff and so we're just kind of getting back into it yeah yeah so but much the same wasn't your your first band name no um what there were a few actually uh but one started off as started off as the huxtables (laughs) i am so glad (laughs) yeah today that would be a little tougher and then it was a tough look well, then it gets worse. It was Trouser Mouse for a little while. That sounds like a lot like Mouse Rat. Or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then it was Antisocial for a little bit. Okay. And then and then Don't Look Down was yeah. the name that kind of stuck until we found out there was another Don't Look Down in right. New Jersey. And then we had to – well, that's a long story. But, um, yeah, we got – they had a lot of lawyer fees after I got done with that. So. <laughs> Oh, so you you battled with it? They a bit? Uh, they became aware of us, and they were a little bigger than we were at the time. <clears throat> uh, and they 
I don't know that I would say they sued us, but they got a lawyer involved. Uh, they hired someone, and um, and and yeah, I just I know how this stuff works. So I'd email the guy a random question every day, mm-hmm. um, and their their bill went very high because you know every email was like an hour. It's like 150 bucks an hour or something. Which, nice. You know, that was probably the most spiteful thing I've ever done to somebody <laughs> I didn't really know. Uh, but uh, but then later we met them. We played in the same town in New Jersey or somewhere one day, and they were really cool guys. And it was super awkward, but we, like, made it a point to, like, get together. Sure, and sure. Cool. And then they were cool, and we did a bunch of shows with them together. Um, we actually played with them in fallout boy at the Metro once like, Oh, dope. You know, so it was, you know, before they were huge, but, um, and back when they were passable as punk rock. Yeah. They were a good (laughs) pop punk band at the time. Uh, and so, yeah, we used to do a lot of stuff with them when they were first coming up, which was fun and fun to see them kind of explode. So, yeah. How do you feel about, the label skate punk because i feel like that's what usually much the same as tagged with yeah it works okay i mean i don't think any of us have ever skated <laughs> right um i hung out with a lot of friends who did and i was just telling my wife the other day like i probably spent a good two years like sitting on the sidewalk while all my friends were doing kickflips and stuff and uh-huh. why the heck didn't i ever just pick one of them up and try like yeah, yeah, yeah. so much wasted time just sitting around i mean you know, talking with your friends is fine, but right. I could have been doing something productive, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, we were talking about, like, right in our wheelhouse. I think skate punk, for Andrew and I, very much is, like, right up our alley. But I know there are these designations about what's pop punk and what's melodic, what's yeah. hardcore pop, you know? Right. But like, I mean, I, we've been called everything from, like, sure. pop punk to melodic hardcore, sure. which I think, depending on the song, probably all of those apply. But yeah. um, I used to not like the term pop punk just because I associated it with a very kind of, like, cheesy, silly, you know, like, I like a little more aggression and, yeah. and all that to my music in general. And uh, But I have to accept that, you know, I mean, we write pop songs. They're just really fast. Sure, right. So, uh, which is what Green Day used to say when Dookie came out, like, oh, our songs are super fast. And <laughs> right. they were in 1994. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, so if people call us, I saw somebody say that, I think, on YouTube today, like, this is the first new pop punk band I've really liked in, like, for many years or something. And I was like, I'll take it. Sure. That's, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> the part where he says... He likes you is probably right. the most important. <laughs> That's what's part. important, right? I don't the care label, what you call it. The label it. doesn't really matter, um, and yeah, I, I I think and also to your point, the depending on the song, um, you know, and this is with the new album, you know, um, the, the first two albums had some more you know screaming a little bit more guttural you know yeah it was part- the early 2000s i mean that's what that's yeah. what you did <laughs> i know but uh, i mean there's it had that that aggression that you're talking about that i'm super into yeah <laughs> so. and i me too um yeah for sure like for me i want music to always be if not angry i mean at least i have to feel some testosterone coming through the speakers uh and uh but i also want to sing along like uh i can appreciate hardcore and a lot of those kinds of things like if the if the singer is just yelling all the time like no matter how good the music is 
I just can't really get into it uh, because I just love melody and harmony. Like that's my thing. So, um, but yeah, I always want it to be a little harder. And this album is uh, got a little less of the aggression, which wasn't intentional. It just was, these were the songs that ended up being ready and um, that's fine. Like we're not gonna, there's a little piece of me that was like, oh man some guys in spain are going to be really mad that you know there's not a lot of yelling or whatever and sure. that may be true but um whatever i mean this is what we wrote and it's cool so we're happy it's definitely cool i mean we can we can tell listeners that we got a little sneak peek at the album it's awesome and uh yeah we should say it's called everything is fine comes out july 26 right yep and uh so that'll be We'll uh we'll play the single maybe yeah well, yeah a little bit later okay um but yeah the new single snake in the grass yes is out now and uh, the album comes out next month and then I mean you were talking about you played with big bands back in the day but you guys toured with face to face within the last couple of years right that's true yeah. yeah and that was like I mean I feel like there's a strong face to face vibe yeah with you guys 100%. Um, they were yeah. one of my favorite bands growing up and like the tight harmonies and mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah, for and sure. And also blisteringly, blisteringly fast. Like yeah. when I think about, um, I mean, when I when I was, you know, preparing for this, I was thinking, you know, I, I don't know if if bands like to be compared to other bands, but I guess if they're like iconic <laughs> right. bands, there's not a problem with yeah. it. But do you? <laughs> but do you? Do you have like if someone? Because like I think of like. Face to face, no use, no use for name. Eighty eight fingers, Louie. Those are like those sort of like fast, melodic, heavy harmony, uh, uh, melodic punk rock bands. Like, were those some of the bands that you grew up listening to? Or oh yeah, those some of your sure. influences. Um, I mean, uh, eighty eight fingers, Louie is actually the first punk band I saw live. Oh, um, it was an accident, but only. I mean, they were. Like I a meant lot of to the be at the show. Seeing you no, I, yeah, exactly. Because I went to see Rancid in 1995. Uh, Where was that at? At the Vic. Oh man, it's um, a good show. And uh, so it was funny because so I see this band on stage and they're really good. And I'd only been into punk for probably two, three months at this point. Um, and uh, really liked what I heard. And I went up to somebody and said, you know, who is this band? And they're like, I think it was the Luna Chicks. Um, and I'm like, all right. So I go to the booth and I buy a Luna Chicks shirt and, oh, a, no. and, a, and a CD. And then they hand me the CD and it's all girls on the cover. And I'm like, this is not the band. <laughs> but I'm like, you know, a, a timid youngster. <laughs> sure, I'm not going to tell this. Like, hey, wrong band. Sorry. Like <laughs> today I might. But, you know, at 17, I was definitely not going to do that. So I just held on to it and just hoped the next band was going to be good. <laughs> And uh, no, they weren't. <laughs> um, no, uh, I haven't heard them in a long time, but I remember liking them when I saw them. <laughs> I mean, they weren't awful, but it, sure. I, I I remember listening to the CD many times, really trying to like it. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, I didn't. I never found out for like a long time who that was until much later. I like found okay. the ticket stub or something. I was like, oh, this is that band that has that Blink song on the, you know, Fat Music comp. So. Um, and now uh, we get along very well with those guys, so that's pretty cool. But, um, but yeah, face to face was an early one. I mean, all that early Fat Rack stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, our bass player 
like Scott Shiflett, the bass player from Face to Face, that's like absolutely his number one. I mean, he basically just says, I just rip off Scott Shiflett with everything I do. Um, uh, so it was but really... Those, uh, those bass riffs are pretty awesome. Frank but... is phenomenal. Yeah, Frank he, is incredible. He... And he keeps getting better. Like, he yeah. was great before, and he's, you know, he's got another band called Burn Rebuild that he sings for. Cool. Um, and so he's kept up his songwriting chops and everything. And, and so, yeah, it's just, he just keeps getting better. It's incredible. Yeah, he sounds great. Um, so you mentioned, well, so I should say we know each other from church, which is like yeah. a little different context than the Vic, uh, seeing punk shows in the nineties, although we were both doing that. I guess I was doing that slightly after that. Um, but was the Christian punk scene a part of your life growing up? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I grew up raised a Christian, went to church all my life. Like, so, uh, and Christian music was pretty much all I listened to, uh, growing up. Um, you guys asked earlier what my first album was, uh-huh. uh, and it was Petra. This means war. Nice. <laughs> um, Definitely talked about that. Record. And I was like fifth grade maybe. Uh-huh. And like, sounds about right. You know, uh, <laughs> That was heavy for fifth grade, you know, like this was, yeah, that was, that was, and it's still, I've gone back and listened to it and been like, this yeah. is weird, but still kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, so I grew up with all that and then, uh, got into punk in 95, um, my senior year of high school. And pretty soon after that, somebody handed me, uh, Poconacha. And that was kind of my first, oh, there's a Christian punk band, you know, so yeah. it's very appropriate for your guys' podcast that that's <laughs> what, what it was. But, um, and then, yeah, like very quickly got into Goaty Hook and Value Pack and yeah. um, some, I don't know, I'm sure there were a few others. I mean, Dogwood later was like my number one all-time favorite Christian band. Uh, so what about just Slick Shoes? Yeah, Slick Shoes was good. Um they weren't at the top of my list, but they were definitely in there. Uh, some of the other guys were huge fans of theirs. Um, what else? Thoughts on Five Iron? <laughs> I, w- I was kind of in the middle of like getting over Scott at that point. Okay. Um, but I liked them a lot better than the Supertones. Yes, correct. Because <laughs> um, I got the first Supertones record at like a used CD shop, and yeah. I was like, all right, Christian Ska Band. And I was <laughs> reading the lyrics, and they were like, you know, very Jesus-y. Yes. <laughs> um, and I was, you know, at the was cool with that and i get it home and put it on i was like <laughs> this is awful even uh, at like 17 was like what are they doing right um so yeah <laughs> i only ask because they're the next band that we're doing a deep dive on. five iron yeah yeah, on the yeah. Uh, i was never a huge fan but it was definitely like i'd seen them sure. like it's cool music i think i was just a little bit over scott by the time yeah, i yeah, heard yeah. them so yeah, we talk a lot about how their lyrics were kind of some of the early sort of social justice awakening mm-hmm. uh, stuff for us, so that was important. Um, Although I didn't get over Mighty Mighty Boston's, who we are going to play with hey. in August. Like, and I'm that's gonna, exciting. I already have my tickets for that show. <laughs> nice. That'll be at uh, 350 Brewing. Yeah. Our buddies. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, let's run down that. That's Boston's, you, uh, much the same, direct hit. Menzingers, Iron Sheik, Iron Sheik, um, and Anthony Ranieri yeah, from Bayside, uh, Zebrahead. Is that um, is that Saturday or is that, that a- those are all Saturday? Yeah. Okay. And uh, 
who else is on that? Somebody else I should be mentioning at least. I don't. Yeah, I'm trying to think that they <laughs> if they because I remember just the, Google 350 um, Fest and you'll see it. Yeah. The, um, uh, who else we got? Buck09. Oh, All right. Buck09. Talk Which was one ska. of my early ska, yeah, yeah, ska bands that I was uh, I was pretty into. Yeah, well, that lineup and is nuts. So Suicide Machines on Friday. Yeah, and yeah. me first in the Gimme Gimme. Yeah. Must, oh, mustard plug. So excited. It's gonna be. Yeah. Speaking of, also 88 Fingers yeah, Louie playing on a Sunday. On yeah. Sunday, that's an all Chicago show, and I would have liked to. Well, I'm really happy to be playing Saturday, so don't get me wrong. But when sure. I saw the Sunday one, I was like, oh, that'd have been cool. But our our guitar player lives in California, so. He flies in on the weekend, so we usually only do Saturday shows, and he flies back on Sunday. Um, and so it was kind of like, oh, I would have liked to do that, but uh, it wouldn't have worked out. But yeah, yeah Naked Ray Gun and Bull Weevils, um, 88, and a bunch of other good Chicago bands on, on Sunday. So that's going to be an awesome – that's the first time they're doing a whole weekend. Um, and yeah. yeah, that's exciting. So And also there's – I saw this that 350's doing this – uh, if you have a ticket to 350 Fest, there's like on the Thursday night, the Lillingtons are going to be playing a oh, show. If you have a, f- have a ticket to 350 Fest, and it'll be a free show if you have that ticket. You know, I heard also something like that for like October. I want to say October, but it might not be October. At some point, Pulley's coming. Yeah, because they the were supposed deal. to be. Yeah, they were announced to be on it, and then I don't know what happened but yeah so apparently there's the same thing if you get a ticket for that you get to go to pulley for free at reggie's too so yeah cool. also on that that lillington's bill is the eradicator yeah are you familiar with eradicator I'm not <laughs> a chicago chicago punk band hardcore punk band based on a kids in the hall sketch from like 30 years ago about uh, this guy who calls himself the eradicator who plays squash and and there's and a whole band around the that. whole band well, is around this one well, concept sometimes a good gimmick will you know. and they're legit it's the guy wears like this ski mask and he has like a squash racket and it's like there's a polo shirt and he'd like it's just a hardcore punk band yeah it's amazing so are all the songs about that yes. sketch wow it, they are that's dedication it yeah. is so um yeah you should uh you should check. I, I've mentioned them numerous times on this podcast. You gotta get them on the pod. You should get them on the pod because yeah. it's it's such a it's so it's so weird. Um, to, it's like such a niche deep dive thing that people are like. Oh, remember Kids of the Hall? Yeah, was that the Canadian sketch groups? Like, sort of. I remember that. Right. Remember that one? Not really. Yeah. <laughs> but you want to come see my band about that? It's not like it was like their breakout sketch or anything. Right. It's like yeah, no. kind of a deep cut. Yeah. Um, okay, so you're definitely in that scene. Were you playing in bands and stuff growing up too, or did that come uh, later? Yeah. Okay. So, um, so I got into punk, like I said, '95. Uh, started playing guitar right about then too, and it was basically like right away, you know, because I I'd been singing on some level all my life, and right away, oh, I really want to be in a band, and I would tell people like, oh yeah, I'm, I sing, and I remember one specific time like I'm in gym class like telling my other punk buddy that i sing oh sing me something no (laughs) i'm not gonna sing you something in the middle of gym class that's awkward uh but that like moment was like 
very crucial to me realizing I needed to learn guitar because like there was no way I was going to ever like sing for anybody if I couldn't play an instrument. Um, and so, yeah, so I got an acoustic, um, and, uh, started teaching myself and stuff. And by that summer I had gone to like a church camp, uh, and like, I, I don't know, I had a spike bracelet on or something and saw, uh, another kid with, uh, gosh, I don't remember if it was, it might've been bull weevils t-shirt. Um, and so instantly it was like, Hey, yeah. you're one of us, you know, kind yeah. of thing. Um, and, uh, and like he heard me singing some random song cause now I'm showing off. Right. Like, sure. You know, sure. I can play two chords and, uh-huh. uh, and, uh, he asked me to join a band. And so, so that was, yeah, that was 96 that I joined my first band and we weren't very good, but we stuck to stuck it out for a while and it wasn't really my thing. Um, but I was in a band and I was excited about it. So, yeah. um, we did that for a while, broke up. I just did college and stuff, and then eventually put this band together. And that, like I said, that was 98 or 99. So, um, and that was originally a Christian band. Um, mm-hmm. It was all guys from the church I was going to. Um, and we kind of cycled through a few different members uh, for a while from church or guys they knew or whatever. So, um, so for quite a while, I mean, we were playing a lot of those Christian then you know which basically just means church basements yeah um did you ever play yeah Yeah. uh we played there i want i don't remember if it was with goatee hooker or hangnail but uh i saw it's a good show i saw hangnail at heart and soul before um you were one of the many who saw much the same by accident (laughs) no this is the weird thing like it this is why it baffles me that it's somehow like especially when um, as you can see, I'm I'm wearing an anti-flag right. shirt, and you your first album was out on AF Records, mm-hmm. and I was at that time 2003 when um, Terror State dropped, and that album was everything to me, and like that, like it's kind of when like I just sort of like went off on a tear on political punk rock. Right. Like how, and I was like devouring everything that I could. And it's like, and then like, and like I discovered recently you like had, you were on some of the anti-flag records doing background vocals. Yeah, I did Terror State. And and, um, for Blood and Empire. Right. Which is definitely, that was my favorite album of the year. Those, for sure. Those two uh, records are my favorite anti-flag records. Me too. Um, and not because I was on them. I no. just really liked them a lot. <laughs> no. Um, man, this guy's kind of full of himself. Isn't <laughs> um, um, the, so I want to um, kind of get into, um, so 2003, how did you get on the, the radar of Anti-Flag and AF? And did you reach out to them did they hear you did what was Um, the deal we played a basement show somewhere way on the south side with whatever it takes which was chris number two's other band okay um i don't remember exactly how that came about but we it was this like little basement you know there's probably 20 kids in there um and it was a fun show and i don't know that we played particularly well or anything but uh but it was kind of like oh hey you know we like your band and you have a label, so you should put out our record. And um, 
I don't really remember how how it went from that initial meeting to like actually doing it. Um, but they were, yeah, they were super cool. They were into it. Um, we were aware that we weren't quite what I would expect uh, AF Records to put out because um, we definitely weren't political. I mean, we have like one political song, but it was on the next album. So, um, but yeah, they were into it and they they put it out for us and um that was definitely a huge step up in terms of like street cred for us like you know before we'd had like one ep that we put out ourselves and um actually technically uh a wilhelm screams old guitar player put it out on his label uh you know tank records um long time ago but uh yeah it was it was definitely a um people started taking notice uh and mo- we'd see more mohawks at the shows basically <laughs> like uh which was which was cool to, to see that so yeah so um did you i'm curious about those those times in the in the studio with the band did they like did justin or pat or somebody reach out to you and say hey you want to do some vocals on this yeah pretty much it was i mean they were going to record um, the terrorist state and so we were already on AF and so they grabbed like four or five of the singers of the bands um, so Mark from the Code um, guy from uh, Thought Riot was on it I'm sure there was one or two others uh, that I'm not remembering right now but so it was basically like hey we have a label let's just get all these singers that we know yeah. and so I drove eight hours by myself out to Pittsburgh um, and uh I think Tom Morello produced that one too, but he wasn't around. Yeah, he did. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so it was basically just, you know, a couple of days of us just in the studio, like, okay, here's a song, here's what you're gonna sing, like everybody sing this, um, and I mean it was it was super fun to get to do that, um, and for the album to be really good, because mm-hmm. um, that was that was cool after the fact of listening to it and going, oh, man, this is this is great, and then the next one, basically same thing happened with the next one too. Um, which I but, think was in California, and I had to fly out. But but you were moving toward Nitro Records, right? Was that 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 was for the next record, right? Um, I think I think we were still on AF by the time uh, for Blood and Empire came out. Um, was that, so we I had. I thought it was like was it I might be wrong, but I, can't, I don't remember the, remember the timeline. I thought it was like either late two thousand five, early two thousand six. It could have been around that time. Blood and Empire came out March two thousand six. Okay. okay, so so yeah, so we must have already been, uh, if not already recorded, we might have already recorded it. I guess we did. We were recording right about then. So, so yeah. So anyway, um, but we were on good terms. Like they, yeah. you know, we told them, hey, like Nitro wants to put out the next record and we're under a deal with you and we haven't recouped our costs and all that stuff. And they were really cool about working something simple out with us and said like, no, we don't want to hold you back. Like that's great for you. So go do that. Um, which is cool, man. What (laughs) that, that I, I have (laughs) next to no experience in the music industry. I've only been in a handful of bands, but that, that doesn't sound like it's, commonplace for something that generous to happen for people to be like yeah man we just want you to do well we don't want to hold you back rather right. than like being like you owe us every penny that we gave you <laughs> right no they were always cool about it i mean you know there's w- a business side and a- we we wanted to make sure that 
that uh, they were happy with the business side of things too. So, I mean, but it was just a, one or two conversations of, sure, you know, can we do this? Because that would have really, I mean, we would have been bummed too. I think they knew like, yeah, we can hold on to this band and make them stay on our label, but how much are they going to want to stay if we're like preventing them from a, a bigger opportunity or whatever? So we all know just insane, huge capitalists. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, those, those guys were always very genuine with uh, like, cause we got to do some shows with them and stuff and they were just really like, you know, there was a lot of politics. Some I agreed with, some I didn't. Um, but you could always tell, and this is something I try to be very cognizant of in general is like, what's the motivation behind whatever your political stance is. And, right. you know, you can have the same political stance as me and be a huge jerk about it <laughs> and have it be completely, like, badly motivated. And in their case, you know, for the things that we didn't agree with, I could still clearly see that they were they were coming from a place of, like, really caring about people and that right. their, their experiences had drove them to a different conclusion than mine had, but both were kind of, you know, humanitarian... Uh, motivations so right. it's really easy to respect somebody that you disagree with when you can see how much they care about people you know and when they're also not a colossal douche right <laughs> you know that makes it that helps that helps helps a little bit if yeah. you can have a conversation with somebody you disagree with and you know they're not being a horrific person to you right you know that's well and we didn't disagree about a ton either so but i don't remember any like deep you know deep discussions about the stuff that we didn't agree on but i was probably too afraid to <laughs> like you know well these guys are huge and my boss is like i better <laughs> keep my mouth shut but really i mean it's like 95 percent we agreed on a lot of stuff so yeah. yeah so you talk about going from playing in a christian band before what became much the same to hanging out with anti-flag which probably not a ton of people can say they've like bridged those worlds necessarily <laughs> did you i mean i know so much the same does not have a faith affiliation but you are outspoken about your faith um could you talk a bit about what that was like to navigate the band um with folks of different beliefs or faiths like was it intentional to did you want to join a band um, that wasn't within that sort of Christian scene or did it just kind of happen that way? Like, how did all that shake out? Um, I think I never wanted to be in the Christian scene. Yeah. I was a Christian. My friends were Christians. Uh, and I wanted to be in punks. So, I mean, my first punk album was, you know, About Time by Pennywise and then Punk and Drublick. And so, like, it wasn't like, I mean, a lot of people do kind of find it through the Christian stuff. Like, I definitely came in from fat records and epitaph um and so there wasn't it was just kind of natural like well i'm writing songs what do i write about i'm going to write about the turmoil in my life which was mostly uh the conflict between the faith that i had and the actual life i was living and trying to figure all that out um and so uh so yeah so it started with all christian guys and then kind of one by one the Christians filtered out and non-Christians filtered in. And uh, I was confused by that at the time. It was probably not an insignificant thing that I was probably a huge douche <laughs> myself uh, in those days. Um, maybe still am, but hopefully less. I um, mean, when you're young <laughs> and it's the late 90s and you're in a punk band, eh, we've all had those. Right. Those <laughs> I'd like to just, bl oh, I was super punk. No, <laughs> I was just really selfish. Um, but uh 
but so um you know by the time we really got going it was uh yeah i think i was the only yeah i was the only like professing christian and all the other guys i mean i had met one of them in a youth group um and uh he wasn't a christian but he was coming to this youth group you know for friendship or whatever um and uh so everybody was kind of like christian friendly at least um and you know there are some songs on i mean so the first song on survive is called the greatest betrayal which Mm -hmm. is not written by me um was written by frank our bass player uh and it is about kind of his back and forth struggle with the idea of god and do I want to follow this God or is it really just uh, a way that I get out of things? You know, like when I'm in a mess, I'll call out and then never mind. Um, And uh, so, so we all kind of were cool with that subject matter. Um, But over time, like now it's like officially, like I'm, I've probably gotten more Christian and the other three guys are like staunch atheists Mm. and you know, it doesn't really impact anything. I mean, they know, like there's certain things I'm not going to sing about if they hand me lyrics, um, which, you know, probably makes them upset too at times. Cause that's kind of their art as well. Um, but, uh, but I try to be respectful too and not like, I don't want to be a preachy guy anyway. Like, I don't think that works. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I try to be respectful in the things that I write too, to say like, hopefully these are things that people can just appreciate are about me and are not like trying to push any particular view. Um, so, so on, the subject of lyrics um so uh some people assume that as the singer maybe they assume incorrectly that you write the lyrics so do you do you write some of them or do you is is it are you just like the you know yeah i used to i mean our first album i wrote all but two um i think of the music and the lyrics i mean we all write together um but I brought most of that in for survive. It was very even like all four of us wrote lyrics and music and usually not at, for the same song. So, That's cool. I mean, even our drummer, Jevin, uh, wrote two or three of the sets of lyrics, two or three sets of the music. Um, and we just kind of mix and match and figure out what works, um, which is a really cool collaborative way to go about it. Um, at this record, I didn't write basically anything like wow. I wrote, no lyrics. I mean, I don't want to say no lyrics. There might be a line here or there that I suggested, but these are not my songs. These are other the other guys, mostly Dan, our guitar player, because he's gone through a lot uh, the last couple of years. But um, but yeah, I mean, this is all kind of their stuff, and I just kind of came in and you know tweaked some melodies or a, a line here or there um, during the demoing. So yeah, you you mentioned. Um so that the first the first song off of uh survive the greatest betrayal that's the betrayal is a and damaged relationships is a very uh it's a recurring theme it seems on uh the re- uh your records and especially survive yeah um so like some of these some of the songs like gut shot take what's yours skeletons stitches picking up the shattered pieces um so what was happening with you guys in 2006 <laughs> like, what yeah. uh i mean like because th- some of the question. some of the songs especially the song gut shot um resonates with me 
on a visceral level uh especially in like part of me like wishes i heard that song in 2006 based on the same very similar situation that i felt like a friend of mine who was like family was throwing me out um so but uh which of these uh were these was this part of the like you said the collaborative like I guess this is kind of what we're all going through right now. Let's make this. Oh, I don't think it was anything even that conscious. I think we were just, yeah, all dealing with maybe similar things. I mean, we were in our 20s. Yeah. And relationships have a tendency to blow up. Um, And, uh, I mean, I can speak to the one one kind of, well, there's a couple betrayal-type songs uh, that I wrote, which are both on on, uh, the first album. Uh, Masquerade is the one that we play the most of uh still but that even like i i listened back to that years later and was like man i'm a dick (laughs) like that's just uh you know at the time i thought i was very justified in thinking this person was uh you know a liar and and not the friend that she claimed to be and really i just liked her and she didn't like me and she was trying to be nice about it and i was uh taking it wrong you know and so um so yeah, so there's some of that. Uh, the stuff on Survive, yeah, gut shot. I mean, that's kind of your typical, just two friends going in different directions and being mad about the way that it's going down, you know? And, right. Um, and uh, yeah, Take What's Yours, similar situation um, with uh, an old bandmate from another band of one of the guys um, that, yeah, so... Yeah, I guess we had a few of those. I didn't really ever think about that. But it's funny, too, because people lately have been calling us like a posi band. Like, oh, you guys are always super positive, And we're all sitting here like, what? <laughs> like, we've just all been really angry. Yeah. Like, and I mean, I guess Skeletons has a kind of a positive. I think we often try to look for the bright side or like something good to hold on to. And maybe that comes through because we're not just like screaming profanities. Um, we're trying to be like thoughtful about what's going on but um yeah. but yeah no i'm like positive no we're pretty we're pretty downers <laughs> no, <laughs> i thought I, it's not i don't think your albums are bummers by any no, stretch just angry punk rock but, right? yeah but like like you said the the lyrics are thoughtful you know it, i i i'll read some of the lyrics and i'm like trying to like sometimes i'll try and make sense of like you know kind of like you know, try and get in the head of, of the writer is not always easy, but like, yeah, I'm like positive. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know what's it's not the word for it. No, yeah. just because you're not, you know, throwing up middle fingers in the middle of a set, then maybe, maybe that's what people are. I mean, th- th- that's what they expect from, you know, a positive punk band, I guess. I don't know. I think that, I think you're right that it, you know, you were saying you don't, you don't aim to come off as preachy and I don't think um, you guys do at all, but I think there's a clear grappling with heavy themes. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that you kind of have to, that it's not, it's not preachy. It's left for you to kind of interpret what you think might be going on. So that's actually kind of a good opening. I know you're saying you were not the primary lyricist on a lot of the songs on the new record, but like, there's a couple songs related to kind of like faith um, that are really interesting to me. And like, I wondered if you could speak to them at all, like man of science, man of faith. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
first of all, the opening riff is like an instant classic that rules. Um, but I mean, could you talk about kind of the themes and the subject matter of, of that song? Like, yeah. So, uh, so the titles are referenced to lost, which I think that was like the second right first episode of the second season where Jack and Locke are kind of, you know, button heads uh-huh. about the way they see things and stuff. And so, um, so it started out just straight up a song about that and kind of evolved into um, just kind of like saying like, why does it have to be that, you know, people who have these opposing viewpoints have to always be trying to like talk each other down all the time. And why can't we either just choose to get along or try to understand each other better? Um, And uh, so Dan did write that song, our guitar player. And I mean, it's something that I'm always feeling very strongly of, you know, like I said earlier, like if I can understand where you're coming from, um, I can disagree with you and we can be fine, you know, and, and it just really makes me sad that more people can't do that. Um, because, you know, we all want to think that we're right and we all want to convince everybody else that we're right, or at least I do. (laughs) Uh, and, but you can't even start that discussion if you can't have some common ground and some mutual understanding. Cause if you're trying to tell me how you feel and I'm just like, no, 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 you're wrong. Where is the, where's the conversation? There's nothing. It's just two people shouting at that point. Um, so, uh, so that's kind of what that song's about. Okay. Yeah. It kind of, there's another song on the new record called you used to have a garden, which kind of seems maybe similar in terms of like a falling out, maybe over outlook on the world. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's kind of a metaphor, right? But, uh, Actually, that is probably one of the most literal songs uh, on the record. And I don't want to speak too much to someone else's story, but um, I think he said this publicly already. So uh, one of our guys basically just watching, um, it's a song about his father and watching the father kind of like lose motivation to live pretty much Mm. um, and just kind of, you know... uh, things just go downhill over the years and their relationship becomes very strained. Um, and, uh, you know, so, um, the garden that he mentions is, was a literal garden. He had a garden in the backyard and that was kind of always his, the thing that like he was into. Um, and at some point, like he just got to a point where he wasn't even, he didn't even have a garden anymore, Mm. you know? And it was so, so the garden in a way, I mean, it was literal, but it was kind of a metaphor for how the whole family dynamic uh, kind of went south. Um, and I remember like where I was when, uh, um, when he told me just, just that line Mm -hmm. that that's what he wanted to, I was like, Oh, that's, that's a song. You have to write that. All I heard was that title. And I'm like, that's a great song. Yeah. No, it's really good. And it turned out so much like he sent us a voice memo. He just like in two hours, like wrote all of the lyrics and the music and just sent it to us on acoustic and was like, here, I just did this. What do you think? And we're like, well, that's a hit song, (laughs) which that will actually be the next, uh, the next song we bring out at the end of the month. So right on. Um, I have other questions, but yeah, go, 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 go. I mean, yeah. So we're talking about kind of the band reforming after a hiatus of several years, more than several years. And, you know, a lot of bands, especially bands that we've talked to for this pod, like are going the Kickstarter route these days. And I just wondered, you know, how do you not do that as a punk band reforming today? Was it intentional to kind of 
avoid that? How did you know? How did you guys decide to put out the record, and how did it happen? Um, yeah, I mean, when we started up in 2015, it was like, hey, we're gonna be real quiet. We're not gonna tell anybody we're writing. We're just gonna write and just see if it works, because we don't even know after eight years if we can still write songs, let alone write together and have it be good. And then we booked a show like a month later, <laughs> you know, before we'd even finished one song. I think there was it was actually the first 350 Fest um, okay, right. was our first show back. And uh, and then it was kind of out of the bag, like, oh, these guys are doing stuff again. So um, so the the intent the whole time was to was to write an album. And it took longer than we expected because of a lot of stuff we'll probably get into. But um, but uh, as far as Kickstarter, yeah, they're just. Some of us wanted to do that, some of us didn't, and we are very democratic about the way we handle things. So it was kind of uh, it was kind of just decided like, well, if we're not all in on, you know, that type of endeavor. I mean, we had right before we broke up, we crashed our van in in Washington, and uh, like we're stranded, um, completely totaled our trailer and half our instruments. Like bass drum was smashed in. All the guitars were in two pieces. Like it was, it was terrible. And so, we had insurance for the van, but not not for the rest. And so, you know, we had to just ask, like, please, somebody, you know, like help us out. Yeah. And we got enough donations to buy a new trailer and all new, either fix the gear or buy new gear. Wow. Which for a band our size, I mean, that was a lot of money, you know. Right. Um, and we felt terrible asking, in the first place. Really thankful that we got it. And then we broke up like yeah. months later, you know, and so that was kind of always a sore spot of just going, we don't really want to ever ask people for money again. Um, and so even though Kickstarter isn't really asking for money, uh, right. it, it can be seen that way. And so um, and really, it doesn't cost an enormous amount of money to record an album anymore. So sure. it's kind of like, well, we're four big boys with real men jobs <laughs> and um you know, we can find the money. So, uh, so that's that's basically why we didn't do it that way. Okay. Was go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I've been dominating. No, no, that's fine. I if if you have a question that's kind of based on that. <laughs> eh, no. Well, <laughs> I I wanted to I want to talk about um, the album. Everything is fine. Um, so, can you talk about what the title means? Because, yeah. the, you know, for people who haven't seen the album artwork, it sort of elicits this, like, um, you know, the maybe the appearance that something might be okay, but in in reality, things are falling apart. It's also dope. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the illustration is super cool. Yeah, the artwork is amazing. Um, who, who did the, the artwork? Uh, my friend Seb from stereo design um he's actually it was funny he's an old fan that i talked to back in the day he was doing t-shirt designs and stuff and we just never had a chance to use him for anything and then years later we started talking again and uh and then we finally met him when we played in uh in canada last year and like i recognized him right away and, and we hung out all night like super cool guy and um and yeah so you know it was and his his artwork has just phenomenal now yeah um so it was uh it was a pretty no-brainer decision to to ask this guy who's like become one of my really good friends like we talk almost every day 
um, you know, to do this. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, he knocked it out of the park. I mean, he helped us develop the idea and stuff, but, um, so, uh, so the title comes from, uh, a song on the album. So a little backstory. So Dan, our guitar player, after going through a difficult divorce and writing a bunch of songs about that, which are on this album, then gets cancer. Um, and, uh, he, um, basically it just, seemed like it was going to be okay. It's testicular cancer. It seems to be a cancer that can be easily treated. Um, but it had spread by the time he got it, uh, got it taken care of. And so over the course of months, it just kept getting worse. Like they'd keep putting off his surgeries and stuff because it just kept getting worse. I mean, I remember, you know, sending a text during church one Sunday morning, like, Hey, how you been? He's like, actually I'm in the ER. I was coughing up blood. Like, Oh, that's not what I expected. Um, and then, uh, the day after Christmas, um, I got a call that he was in the hospital again, that he'd had a seizure, um, while he's watching his two kids alone. Um, and you know, the paramedics had to knock down the door and take him in and all this stuff. And he was, his mind was not there cause it, the cancer was in his brain now. Oh my gosh. So he's like trying to he's attacking the not doctors and nurses and just ha he has no recollection of any of this. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and so they had to like tie him to the bed because he was so violent. Um, and, um, so just very scary. And, you know, I mean, his cancer has gotten to the brain now. Like I have officially gotten to the point where my friend is going to die. Mm. Um, and we didn't want to believe that, but it's hard not to at that point. And so he was kind of in the same place, like, okay, I'm a father with two little kids and I'm, I'm going to be dead in a year. Um, and so he wrote, he actually, part of the seizure uh, caused his hands not to work properly anymore, which is not what you want as a guitar player. Um, and so uh, he couldn't have a guitar in the hospital bed, but he bought a ukulele because it was something. And so he just, he was just basically trying to strengthen his hands up again and, uh, and wrote this little tune about, accepting that you're dying um and uh and so that's on the album um we were going to do it as a full band at first and then i was like this is it's haunting the way he sent yeah. it to me like on the phone yeah. just a ukulele and him singing basically i just imitated that on the album like i just basically played it exactly as he played it for me um and uh and so the the first line of the chorus is i'll still tell you everything is fine and it's just such a, I was talking with him about that of, well, what, like, is that, are you just BSing somebody or just trying to not tell them how bad it is? Or are you really okay with that? And he was kind of like, can it be both? And that was kind of like a core concept of like, everything can be falling apart and you hate it and you're okay with it and just having to come to terms with all of that. So um, so it's a, it's a short song, but that's what that's about. And so as we were working out the kind of the design for the album and we had a different title and then we came up with this cover idea and, uh, and I was in the middle of like demoing the song and I, so it's going through my head and I'm just like, everything is fine is so much more the title for the cover that we have. Yeah. Uh, and it was pretty quickly decided that that was a, that was going to be it. So, um, so yeah, so it, it all came together very well. It's definitely not a, a posse <laughs> cover by any means. It's yeah, pretty dark. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, we think it represents the album well, and we've actually had some really 
nice compliments on that. Like one guy wrote to the artist and said, Hey, I work with, you know, kids with emotional problems. And this is like a visual representation of what their life is like. And that wasn't really, we weren't trying to get super heavy in that way. It was kind of just, you know, supposed to be about the song or the album or whatever, but really cool just to hear multiple people have said that they like just the image itself, like does something for them that they can relate to. So that's, we're excited about that for sure. Um, how is he doing? He's all better. Um, after the seizure thing, they, he went through a crazy chemo where they take out your stem cells and then they just blast you till you have nothing left and then put them all back in to rebuild you. And they do it again and again and again over the course of months. Um, and so they got the tumor down to, I mean, it was basically just in his abdomen. It was about the size of a, of a cantaloupe, uh, which is just, I mean, that's huge, you know? Um, and they took it out and everything was fine not to put too fine a point on it, but, um, but yeah, it pretty much instantly just, he, you're, you're all better. So, I mean, hopefully that will remain for the entirety of his life, you know? Man, I feel like I need to give this guy a hug, (laughs) right? That was a hard year for, I mean, obviously for him more than anybody, but that's enough for for like a lifetime to just like, oh, like I, I, I don't know what my face looked like as you were telling me that, but I just, that, that's, you know, and this is why I love talking to artists because you know, you hand this album to somebody and they'd be like, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty dope, you know, uh, you know, melodic punk rock record when there's just so much depth and honesty and pain that is behind all of this. Mm-hmm. You know, I like think that's just, I, I love that. I love it. Yeah. Um, and so, I'm sure we're not special in that either. Like probably every record we listen to has, stories like that that sure. you know if the if the guy wanted to talk about the situation sure. about the breakup song that he wrote or whatever you know that it would be you know pretty painful yeah um, at right. least at the time so yeah yeah i mean <laughs> sure i mean i i think we all like i've i've written some pretty cringy songs back in the day that i think would probably have never. like never <laughs> no but like that you know i think have have the the depth of my my truth and my pain but they're yeah. but anyway that that's uh thank you for sharing that i'm so glad that he's okay yeah. um and that he was able to contribute that because that that song is uh as certainly a departure from yeah from the rest of the record and anything else you've done um so that was going to be an eventual question yeah, to kind too. of like, you know, the, some new, like why a ukulele song? Yeah. No, like I, it, like I think for a, a third, third record, you know, to try some new things. That was my assumption mm-hmm. was that there was, because, um, the, the passengers, the closing song, yeah. straight so banger. Yeah. Like <laughs> so the, good. the, the the swelling of at the beginning and the piano uh, the gang vocals vocals. you it's got this do my stuff on this song has everything (laughs) um but yeah it's 
So what was uh what was that? I mean, obviously with the um, you know the the, the ukulele song um, that had the its its origin, but like with some of the other, you know, it was a man of science, man of faith that had that sort of like. There's a eight, chip tune. Eight, in the beginning. Chip yeah. tune, yeah. The, like awesome. sort of eight bit, like yeah. Um, which I was also super into. And then like the passengers. What was? Did you go into this record thinking like let's broaden it a little bit, or where we did, did, where did but, those ideas come from? But like all everything there was turned out naturally. Like I mean, I remember a specific point where somebody said like we need more beeps and boops on this album. <laughs> And and I was instantly like, okay, um, like all right, man, it's it's all of our stuff, and that's not what I'm into. But um, I mean, the the little chip tune thing started because that like that intro of that song used to be in a song that that Dan and Frank had in an old band after we broke up that he had written they had written, and that had kind of a synthy thing to it. It was a very different. It was more of a Paramore kind of band, so that fit. And so, but we we liked that and we're like, let's try it. And I tried putting it together and it just didn't sound like we'd sped the song up. And so it was like, this isn't really working. And I just thought, Oh, wouldn't that be funny if I just did it like an eight bit, you know? And so it was just an experiment at yeah. home. Um, it's great. And it rules. Yeah. And, and so I'm glad you like it. Cause that's definitely one of those things where I'm just like, I God, I hope people don't think this is super dumb. Uh, no. <laughs> like I, I mean, for, I don't, I obviously don't speak for all, you know pop punk fans or melodic punk fans but like that it's it's not like you were like this whole thing is going to be nothing but chiptune you know it's like it's yeah we aren't high flight dragons like they have their thing right exactly exactly um or just a little taste or anamana gucci or (laughs) like any something like that just like nintendo core you know that that sort of thing like horse the band Anybody? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, know the band name, not really. Yeah, a little bit of a, a deep cut, I guess. <laughs> but um, you know, I I think about um, going back to Anti Flags uh, uh, for Blood and Empire. They had, you know, this this whole back catalog of just straightforward political punk rock, just guitar, bass, drums, and then they like started throwing in some horns and they like they like it's just started experimenting with like other instruments and stuff and um and i think it but they weren't it was like a, just like a little flourish here a right. little piece here just to accent you're not trying to change your sound but you find new ways to layer things yeah. you know um i mean and, cello's not a super unique thing to do in punk anymore but we got that in there. We have a little bit of piano. Right. Um, and yeah, they are definitely all just, I mean, pretty much everything we write is like just whatever our heads tell us it should sound like. So as we're playing a song, like my brain will say, there should be this there. Right. And I, I can't argue, <laughs> you know, like, oh, yeah, that would sound cool. Let's do it. Um, so usually that's how it goes. With With the beginning of Passengers was it was written a bit differently um, is actually funny. And, and this won't make a lot of sense until people hear the song, but originally it was written as like a straight fast beat song. And I was super into it, like really excited about it. And then Dan said, Hey, I want to, I want to slow that down and like make it halftime and kind of a more Foo Fighters thing. And I was like, 
Oh, <laughs> uh, and again, just goes to show that like my instincts are definitely not always right because like he and Jevin got together, put the song together and brought it in and um, we demoed it and we're pretty happy with it. But over the course of like adding things and tweaking and Nick uh, from the Swellers who uh, produced the album, like gave us a couple of feedback bits. And so it's just kind of a back and forth over the demoing process of like, this is the first time we ever had any kind of recording ability. Right. Um, I mean, these days it's just so nice. Like I just plug something into my computer and go, you know? Um, so it was really fun to like build the song piece by piece and like send a recorded version to the band and be like, what about this? And they go, eh, what about this? Oh my God, that's amazing. And right. so it goes back and forth. So that, that song was kind of like a, just a back and forth, like, let's keep trying things until we found something that worked. And once it worked, it was like, whoa, what did we just make? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's a, I've heard from the few people who've heard the record that that's been pretty much everybody's favorite or second favorite song. So it, 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 it's such a perfect album closer song. Yeah. It rules and it, it feels, it feels like a closer to me. Yeah. Like we've talked about uh, going through the MXPX discography um, songs that feel like, a good album closer or songs that are like um i've done popular opinion about one album closer song that i don't really like but this one is to me like hands down it it did you did you know going in like track listing like or were you like this has to be the opener this has to be a closer we or got what? really lucky with this one um i mean i take track order like super seriously like that for me is like a huge factor of putting sure. an album together um, and, uh, pretty early on we had, like Dan wanted to do the, f the first two songs on the album. He knew that he wanted those to be the first two. And those are some of the older songs, but as we were putting other things together, like things just started to fall into place based on some dynamic or another, like the last three songs, like the, the third to last, like has a quiet, you know, kind of, it kind of fades out and then you have this ukulele song and then passengers fades in and those kinds of things just kind of were obvious like we wrote the songs individually and we just looked at them and go oh well that needs to go there and the funny thing is that passengers was originally supposed to be somewhere in the middle of the album and we had mm. a different one for the closer and um and then i heard a band uh called coral springs who just came out with an album um and i listened through and the first time through the last song of theirs was just so anthemic mm. and i was like we need a better last song. <laughs> like the song's good. And actually I even, I like it much better now on the record than I did in our demos. So who knows how that might've gone had I, had I heard them first. Um, but it was like, do we want to put like maybe our favorite song in the album last? Right. Like, how do you do that? Uh, and we just said, well, it's like, we'll, we'll just promote it as a single or something, yeah. uh, to make sure that, you know, people don't miss it if they listen to the first three tracks and get bored or whatever. Um, and, uh, fools and so, if they think that, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, when you're writing it, you just don't know, you don't, yeah, right. I, I still, I still am like really pleasantly surprised every time people say that they like the whole thing. Like, Oh, thank God. Yeah. Like <laughs> four years of like, yeah. you know, no, um, I can, and and maybe this is part of it, but uh, I can honestly say 
that I like legitimately like the whole album. Um, and I think bangers beginning to end, obviously ukulele, not much of a banger, but like, (laughs) um, but still an excellent song. Um, but still like, is that part of why it's nine songs? Did you like, did you try and trim it down to the bangers and cut out some of the riffraff? Actually, actually it went the other way. We were originally going to do three. Oh, Um, we'd had, we probably had 20 songs that were like at some level of written whether it was like a whole song but the band hadn't all worked on it or like there was a verse and a chorus that we knew was real strong but we'd never really finished it um and so originally it was like hey we it's been long enough like let's just get something out so it's like all right let's do like three songs and then three turned into like five which quickly turned into six and then there was the ukulele song that we were like yeah we could throw that on that's seven and then and now we're at like 23 minutes or something and and we'd already booked studio time for like seven songs and we're like uh let's just throw that eighth one in there it is basically done like let's just do it and then dan wrote passengers that was like the last thing and it almost didn't make the record because not everybody liked it at first like it was like initially was very like we're not really sure if this is like ready to go or whatever and it just all kind of fell into place so yeah so there's nine because we booked studio time and nine was <laughs> what we had done uh, by then. But that has always been kind of, like we just I don't really see the point in writing a mediocre song. And that's going to sound I'm saying that kind of jokingly, but well, a I'm good. a little too much of a perfectionist. Sure. And my I drive my band crazy, really crazy. Um, but uh, I if the song isn't like. Like if I can't play any individual song and be like, here, this is what, this is what we do, and think people are gonna like it, like why, why even bother? Right. So, um, and yeah, older stuff. I mean, that was true then, and now I don't like some of those older songs so much, but I, I do feel like still survive and and everything is fine. Are like all songs I can get behind still, and I cannot. That's wait. just my goal. So I cannot wait to get survive on vinyl. I'm a big vinyl nerd, and that that album rules so hard and i love and i'm just so um now i feel like i'm hogging (laughs) okay i don't know i um i guess this isn't i don't know if this is a fair question but um considering the the gap between your last album and and this and this record and the time it took to to get these songs together um is what is what is the future of much the same that's a good question (laughs) um we're all we're we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants because like i said jevin our drummer lives in california we all have jobs and you know it's i mean this is definitely a very part-time thing for us um and we're really like hashtag blessed <laughs> um, to like be in a position like we were not a very well-known band at all when we put Survive out or even after that. And then to have eight years go by and have the album have like gained steam um, just doesn't really, I don't think, happen very much. And we were certainly uh, surprised. Um, so, you know, it's 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 hard to to write an album when you live in separate sides of the country and um and all that and so 
So really, I mean, we, like I said, we still have a lot of material that is already like kind of half done. And I'd say I ha like we could do another EP if we just finished the songs that we like even think are kind of ready, which wow. is cool. Like we've never, we've always been super slow at writing. Um, but it just kind of fell together that way. Um, so, I mean, for this year, like we're doing this album, we're doing nine shows in Europe. We're going to do the 350 Fest and uh, we've got a couple other things trying to work out for the rest of the year and then hopefully just a break because i feel like it's been like four straight years of like work yeah. um and i mean for dan to have gone through everything that he went through which obviously you know slowed the process down some um selfish <laughs> you know, but, uh, man that uh, guy yeah um, but yeah so so future wise it's i think we want to keep on keeping on like we yeah. are already talking about potential things for next year love it um into it when there will be new like i mean i'm not going to make any promises but i would say it'd be really awesome to be able to at least put out another song or two next year just for the sake of like hey we have material like sure. we're not going to wait another four years or whatever to put more stuff out it's not really the world we live in anymore uh, no. anyway and which is why we were going to do three songs and just be like, okay, well, here's something. Sure. Uh, and then, but I'm so glad it was a real, like a full album. Cause I'm just, I'm an album guy. I don't want to put out a couple of songs and they just kind of float, you know, like people get excited for a week and yeah. it's easy for them to disappear. Or at least that's what happens to me. Yeah. So. You know, I feel like music has, um, excuse me. I feel like music has become, uh, and maybe it's always been this way, but I, I don't know, maybe with the with the accessibility of streaming um, that that's it's almost like songs are just like this easily digested thing. It's like, oh, I just consume them and then and then you're done with it and you forget about it and you don't care anymore. It's it was the song of the moment and now you're on to the next song. But, Which is easy when you don't have to go buy an album, right? Right, like, right. It's here. I heard it. It's oh, in the it's back. pretty good. It's in and the then background. It, Who cares? If I bought it because yeah. I thought it was pretty good, well, now it's sitting on my table or it's sitting in my CD player and I'm going to hear it a bunch of times. But I right. can't tell you how many... I've just listened to a whole bunch of bands recently where I'm like, man, there are a lot of... Like Europe is really... Europe and Quebec are really killing it with like fast technical punk right now and like i probably couldn't name half of the bands that i thought were phenomenal because i like have them in a spotify playlist and have to like go right. back and check again like who was that um, um but you 100 yeah. are gonna hook me up with that list <laughs> i will <laughs> but you know i, I mean I'll, I'll plug some now like the ones do. i know offhand like adrenalized has an album recently that's just awesome uh they're from spain uh like drones in the uk has a uh they're like another like kind of wilhelm screamish but there's a it's a girl singer they're super good um colors fade which i'm pretty sure is from quebec or canada somewhere uh thousand oaks from i believe italy um those are the ones that come off the top of my head at the moment although oh mainline 10 who i i'm pretty sure is european as well um those are just bands that like recently just heard and like the whole album through was like man these guys make me feel stupid because <laughs> we are not a shreddy band by any means we're fast but like we're not these well, crazy technical don't you know. undersell the sick riffage yeah, that you guys bring you there are um 
We were list- shredding on uh, stitches. Yeah. I mean, Dan's a definitely a good guitar player. What's funny about Dan's playing is he grew up listening to like Credence and like sure. Led Zeppelin and that kind of stuff, which is, you know, it's like all his dad's old vinyl. Um, so our style is not based on the 80s metal that a lot of band stuff is, sure. you know, like the thrash metal. It's like I can't play guitar that well. So I'm just playing a lot of power chords. Sure. And, and Dan's got kind of this cool classic rock kind of style that it, you know, I definitely love everything that he does. Um, like I'll bring in a song that's just a few chords. And the first thing he plays, like the song American Idol on, on Survive, like I brought that song in. Uh, the lyrics were by the drummer. I wrote the music and I, I was pretty happy with it. And the first thing Dan played was the riff that is now the opening riff. And I was like, well, that song just got twice as good. Like, like no effort, you know? Not bad. Yeah, that's like off the top of his head. Yeah. Just like, oh, what if I did this? That's pretty rad. Um, that might segue well into what I was going to ask about next, which is I think this record is probably the best sounding of your albums. I mean, apart from sort of the musicality of it, just like production wise. And, you know, we, you mentioned um, Nick from the Swellers who we've talked about on the pod before, because the Swellers had guessed it on uh, plans within plans, MXPX. But so he produced and engineered it. (laughs) What? What's the band name? Uh, I think it's uh, PXMX. Um, And they, so, I mean, how did that, partnership come about and how what was that process like uh well i mean we go way back with the swellers like they we met them they showed up to a show we played in chicago they had driven from detroit and they were like 16 and 17 at the time and like handed us an ep and uh and we got in the van and put it on and we're like well that's the best thing i've heard this (laughs) year um i mean just like what how that's not even fair um (laughs) And, uh, so, and we've been friends ever since, um, and they just got like better and better with every album and, you know, certainly overtook any minor success we were having, uh, over the years. And so, uh, so when it came time to do a new record, you know, we were talking about who to record with and we had some different options and I was just like, guys, like Nick has his own studio and who like who would we want to record with except a person who like i mean it sounds weird to say but like someone who literally grew up on our music and then did it way better than we did it <laughs> and still likes the band like why would we not want him to be right. the guy that is going to like help us like tweak the songs and make it sound the best it can and um so it was kind of a no brainer i mean we definitely had other other ideas too but um frank had recorded his other bands uh last ep with him too so he'd already kind of been through the process with him and was like all on board like it's going to be a really good time so um so yeah that was pretty much a no-brainer and nick just like he's so knocked it out of the park like i knew it would be good but i literally just texted him today like okay so i've listened to the album like a lot (laughs) and i'm still as impressed today as i was a month ago with how amazing like all the tones are and just the mix and you know the vocals are super clear without like being overpowering and just he just i i can't believe how good he made that sound and i should i have to mention 
our friend Scott Hallquist from Ten Foot Pole recorded the drums uh, at Ryan Green Studio in California, okay. and he also like just the drum tones on this are are like what we've been looking for. Can can I just um, speak to Jevin for a moment? Yeah, please, uh, Jevin, you <laughs> are a beast. I love I so I love um, I'm just endlessly impressed with the proficiency of of his his drumming i i i'm in just kind of like with your whole your a lot of your especially survive and especially in this new album um there's i don't i don't get bored you talked about like uh, maybe someone listens to the first three songs and they get bored and i'm just like i don't know how because <laughs> especially with the drums he's doing like little fills and and things here and there and it's just like he's so fast he's <laughs> unbelievable so um he was he wasn't on your first record where did you how did you uh how did you meet uh how'd you meet him yeah he was um he was in a band called form follows failure back in the day in st louis where he was going to college uh and we we toured through and played with him played with that band uh a couple of times and um so when uh our our old drummer left you know obviously who are we going to get and we're thinking about chicago people and we tried out a couple of friends and stuff but they were like hey that i just i think somebody called somebody and was like oh yeah form follows failure broke up and they're like excuse me <laughs> like because it was just like oh we gotta we gotta get that guy so we called him up and asked him and i didn't even know if he'd remembered us or was a fan or anything I, I don't know how much he liked the band at that point yet um but he was like yeah that'd be cool i was actually just about to move back home to california i could move to chicago instead <laughs> what? like just perfect timing like and um and i never could have guessed what a con contribution jevin would have to the band because like you said he's just i love bragging on my band like i <laughs> i'm so happy to have these three musicians who are just like each bring something yeah. really special to the table. Um, and probably every band thinks that about their band members, which they should. Uh, but like, yeah, Jevin was like, not only was he phenomenal at drumming, but then the fact that he could write songs like really good songs. And he was, he was like the driving force for us. As soon as he joined, like he'd come from a band that practiced five times a week and so when he showed wow. up and we practiced once a week, he's like, what are you guys doing? I thought you were a real band, you know? Um, so he was very motivational. Um, and uh, in fact, uh, the song Wrecking Ball on Survive was a song he wrote about how I should be trying harder because I have more potential than I'm tapping, which was like, you know, meant a lot to me to see that someone saw that in me. Yeah. Um, so it was, you know, that was very personal. But yeah, the the my favorite story about Jevin was uh, so I wrote I was writing the song "Living a Lie" that's on Survive and uh, and I'd gotten like a verse and a chorus and a bridge and that was about it and I was like, you know, it need it probably should do the chorus a couple more times and stuff, but it just feels done already and uh, it was a little slower then and I was like, I don't know, maybe if we played it really fast and like maybe maybe that it could just be a fast quick like we'd never done that before and i was like jevin can you play that like super fast like 
strike anywhere kind of like where you're not hitting all the beats in the fast beat but you're kind of just you know da 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 and he's like well i could but i could also just play the fast beat really fast <laughs> and i was like okay do it and he plays it at this at that and it which i don't remember it's like 220 beats a minute or something 230 somewhere in there and me and dan fall on the floor laughing because he's like flawlessly playing this thing faster than we've heard anybody play that beat before um and and it was like okay well i guess we're gonna do that <laughs> like that's awesome uh so but yeah speed aside like his his creativity is awesome uh and um you know like i said it, it helps that he's a songwriter himself so we always i mean we get bored if the second verse sounds like the first verse like you know i mean we have a lot of choruses we do our choruses a lot but we always have to change up every part of every song somehow to like just keep it a little bit interesting as it's yeah. going um because otherwise we'd get bored so could can we play a little bit of living a lie yeah just go for it it's a shame I mean, it's come nuts. on, <laughs> a minute, <laughs> a minute and nine seconds. I mean, get in and get out. Get in, it's get out. Day. That is unbelievable. Love it so much. So, and you'd never think that was inspired by a Ben Fold song, but <laughs> fascinating, <laughs> is it? Yeah, that uh, the lyrics to that were my version of Jane by Ben Fold's oh, Five, which song. is a very slow, yeah. contemplative kind of song. But uh, yeah, same same concept. Um, I'm going to move in a, a different direction. This is, is it, this is our, our <laughs> patented hard left turn into. Yeah. I mean, not that hard. Okay. It's, it's, it's related to what we've been talking about, but just, you know, you have two young sons. We've, um, talked about, this is a part-time endeavor for you guys. You know, what's it been like striking the balance of being a dad, being a husband, having a full-time job and getting back into the band um, on top of it. Cause originally that was kind of part of why the band broke up, right? It's kind of that work-life balance a little bit or. Uh, we probably mainly broke up cause I was a huge jerk. <laughs> okay. um, yeah. But uh, yeah, now it's uh, yeah, it's, it's tricky, um, but it works. Uh, you know, my wife definitely makes some sacrifices uh, we don't tour or travel much. So like, you know, people ask, which is, I mean, I was just thinking about this the other day. It's really exciting actually to have more like people asking us to do stuff than we can actually do. Mm. Um, like if we could do all the stuff we were offered, we'd probably like burn it out in two months and <laughs> like, oh, there goes all our demand. Right, right. Uh, but, you know, when you can only do like 10 shows a year, um, you know, you have to be picky and then people are excited because it's rare. So, um, I feel again, very, uh, very fortunate to be in that kind of position, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely hard. I mean, I recorded a lot of the demos for this, like with my kids next to me playing Minecraft, like, <laughs> like telling me to shut up, like, like daddy, you're too loud. I'm like, yeah, that's going to happen. happen. It's my house. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah. So, and I think that's true for all of us. I mean, there's definitely things that we haven't been able to do that we would have liked to because, you know, either, hey, I got to be at work or I've got, I can't leave my 
wife to take care of the kids again or you know whatever the case may be um and actually yeah right now with all of that's going on putting the album together and like it's been a lot of work and I'm definitely not as present as I'd like to be uh at the moment um and you know I just try to make sure you know when I'm looking at my calendar like you know schedule in like date nights and stuff like that like you know, like today I knew I was going to be coming here and there were some things that I needed to do, uh, just normal house chore stuff. And I was like, well, I've been gone all day. I'm going to be gone all night. I'm going to spend this next 45 minutes building Legos because like, that's important, you know, and I like Legos. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, what were so you building? I was actually building a ladybug. All right. Um, just, just <laughs> from, just freeform freeform i was yeah my my youngest is very into ladybugs uh that's he's like a huge ladybug fan so i'm just trying to trying to build him a ladybug um that's right well yeah. they are they are very beautiful and <laughs> shiny and adorable and so. i have to say i'm doing a pretty darn good job too <laughs> we're, uh, yeah, we we're getting pics uh, of this thing <laughs> <laughs> doing a lot better of a job than i expected to so um but uh great. yeah using all the all the red bricks and then the like the tiny single black ones exactly i'm go. i'm shocked how many of these things i have i mean i've got all my lego from when i was a kid and then all the ones that they've bought like we've got this giant like yeah the kitty waiting pools like the big blue toys r us uh -huh. pool just like full uh -huh. of lego and to try to keep it off the floor so That's doing awesome. doing parenting right just like just have the big lego pool and just make sure they don't Scrooge McDuck it and try and like. Right. Oh, that's happened. That was yesterday. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, and then kicking it out, and then it's everywhere. But um, yeah. yeah, my my brother has all of our childhood Legos because he has the children. So <laughs> that, that doesn't sound fair at all. Well, I mean, <laughs> the split season. <at> yeah. <laughs> what, what am I going to go over to my niece and nephew and be like? So I know <laughs> that you've been playing with these your entire life, but <laughs> technically these are mine. Yeah, so these my Christmas present. Yoink! Years old. Yeah, it's very kind of you not to take them. Yeah, I'm. I am. I'm a hero. <laughs> totally. I'm, I'm merciful, and um, they should be thanking me. Um, so what were you gonna? You were gonna have something else? Because I wanted to see if we could. I wanted to shift. Um, Star Wars. <laughs> I just I just started eating Starburst because we uh, we need the red versus pink weigh in before before we close up shop here. But yeah, yeah I mean that needs to happen. We need a we need a verdict. But I wanted to. Um, You've wrapped these in different. <laughs> these are not the right colors. You're gonna blindfold me and screw be. with me, aren't you? <laughs> no. It's like a wine tasting. Um, I don't I I don't think I would be would want you to eat my manhandled starburst <laughs> like but i if if band that were the <laughs> what's that band name called it okay. manhandled uh, starburst yeah yeah we're, we're playing <laughs> at the vic next month that's a good one i like that one um but if that were the case you would have to compliment me on the wrapping job yes, i did they definitely look professional uh, um i wanted to uh i wanted to shift into talking about about faith a little bit more and because you uh, had mentioned growing up in the church, going to camps and, you know, having, you know, um, you said that you're more Christian now than 
than maybe earlier back in your college days when you or maybe you were said you were writing some songs about some of the the push and the pull and the um some of the trying to deal with the who you want to be versus who the way you're living sort of things so um i guess i'm kind of curious where where you're at now what are some of what are some of the things that you would say define uh your your faith now well that's a big question Uh, that's what people come to Mag- Magpod for. That's right. Come here for the big questions. Come for the starburst. Uh, yeah, stay for can, the big questions. You can chew on a burst as you pontificate. <laughs> I mean, I think it. you. I think you basically just asked me to like preach the gospel, right? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, how am I going to answer that question? Well, I can say this. Um, I grew up uh, with my faith being a very intellectual exercise. Uh, okay. I believed in my head all of the stuff that I was taught about God and Jesus and creationism and everything in between. Uh, and, uh, and I think my whole life was pretty much like, okay, uh, I got saved and now I'm just going to try and not sin too much and <laughs> everything will be fine, which of course you fail miserably when <laughs> that's your kind of perspective. Um, and I did fail miserably a lot. Uh, and um, so throughout, but I didn't know really, like it's so easy to have a perspective that like, like you're on the right path and everything's great and not see all the BS going on at the same time. So like, you know, I've got all these like Christian tattoos and I'm saying I'm, a, you know, I'm singing. I mean, I'm, m- half my songs were prayers of one type or another. and uh, And at the same time, like, I'm just a huge jerk to everybody, you know, and like just really self-centered, um, you know, and, and just looking out for myself basically, which was, you know, I mean, I'm still working through why that was a thing, like why I was spending so much, so much of my life, like trying to get other people's approval. Like I'm in a punk rock band. Who cares what people think? Oh, please like me. Um, and which, I mean, to be honest, like being in a band was a huge part of that. Like just, oh, maybe if I can get enough people to like my music, then I'll be a person of value, you know? Right. Uh, Maybe if I can just get this girl to go out with me or whatever, oh, maybe then, you know, well, she's really hot, so if she likes me, then I must be something important. Um, Yeah. And that was basically the entire, uh, that was many years of my life was, you know, kind of, I mean, hopefully that wasn't, evident to everybody around me but definitely my band saw that my close friends saw that um and uh and i would say that that was at least part of the factor of us breaking up too was just like me not being like basically i was being a very judgmental person about like well i don't drink or do drugs and i'm a christian and all this stuff like kind of stereotypical evangelical judgmental person uh and and i'm not any better you know, like I'm just doing things that I'm justifying and then pointing fingers at other people for doing things that are probably far less damaging to other people than what I was doing. Mm. Um, so, uh, so in the years not in the band and stuff, like, you know, I got married, I had kids, uh, I had to face a lot of my junk. Um, and so just over the last, you know, 10 to 12 years has just been kind of this ongoing process of like, 
just figuring out like taking the blinders off of like my life piece by piece and seeing like yeah that has been a problem for 20 years like I need to actually look at that now and not pretend like it's no big deal um and uh and so in that process um you know just coming to terms with like all these things that I no longer want in my life or these kind of either whether it's a behavior or an attitude or whatever um you know in that process my faith became more than just like a get out of hell free card Mm -hmm. thing uh and more about like okay i really do believe that like the things that jesus taught are actually the wisest way to live and people may hear that if they're not christians or whatever and they have preconceived notions of what that means and go oh geez that you know all great okay he hates gay people and you know all the whatever the stereotypes are um sometimes justified stereotypes absolutely you know and not justified necessarily because that's um because that's right or that's what i believe or whatever but just because that's so commonly right you know spoken or that's how a lot of people uh interpret what they read or or what they believe and um so so anyway yeah so it, it's just it's it's become a process of just going okay well i think this is the the best possible way to live i do believe there's a god i do believe that jesus died for us and that um that you know like i mean god wrote the instruction manual for life so even when you know i've heard it said if 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 your religion like uh if your religion doesn't ask you to do anything hard or that's like counter to what you naturally want to do then like you're just worshiping yourself or something to that effect like what's the point of having like a faith that's just all of the natural things that you feel you know what i mean um so so there are things that i have to struggle through and and understand and why why does god say that this is right and this is wrong and whatever and um just there's I, I think I'm coming to terms with the fact that sometimes there's no there's just not an easy answer to that question uh, and being OK with there not being an easy answer and still just going, OK, well, but I still have to live my life and I still have to like I mean, the prime directive is love other people, you know, love God, love people. So uh, anything that doesn't, you know, anything that doesn't dovetail with loving everyone uh, is probably wrong course everybody has a different idea of what loving people means too so yeah. y- you know i mean we yeah, can have a whole I mean, conversation just about that you know we we talked about that on our michael w smith episode um michael tate was up on stage talking about like you know why can't we all just love each other and john and i were sort of after the show sort of kind of were talking about that like well because for some people they think loving them means telling them they're going to hell and saying look i love you and i don't want you to go to hell because you're a sinner you're going to hell yeah and some people like whoa well that doesn't especially sound really loving to me it sounds like um sounds more like a, a judgment or um you know because earlier when you were talking about um having disagreements with people um and but still understanding where they're coming from you can say like oh i i might disagree but i can understand um what your what you what you're saying and where you what you want to accomplish with 
you know, this position or X, Y, and Z. And I think um, love outside of some sort of relationship isn't really love because uh, there's a lot more messiness involved in loving somebody than just tacitly being like, uh, oh, I'm just going to, you know, tell you the gospel and that means I'm, I've, I've, I've checked off the love box uh, for what my what my faith means um, but you know it, it it requires a little bit more work to to love somebody because you have to sort of embrace the dark and the light that comes with with everybody right and I, yeah I think I mean you can um, I mean everybody needs to be loved differently and at right. different times of day like there are times where i need a hug and there are times where i need somebody to talk to and there are times that i need somebody to you know hit me upside the head and all of those can be love but it's the best kind of love if that's what i need at that moment and uh yeah i think a lot of people i mean let's just stipulate that there are people who like through good motivation will do that whole like you're going to hell talk certainly there are people who are doing it and saying that they're being loving and they're really just want to they want to knock people down. They want to, you know, boost themselves up by kind of saying, just basically proving that they're right in their own mind. Um, so let's not talk about that. <laughs> uh, but the people who like are genuinely trying to do what's right um, and maybe even, you know, hopefully do care about that person. Um, it's still misguided if that talk is not what that person needs right now. Um, and you can, uh, I mean, I just, I pretty much believe that, you know, most of the time, like telling someone they're going to hell, like that's, that's, that's not going to get through to anybody. Like if your purpose is to show them that there's a God that loves them and that that God wants to be in relationship with them and that that God is not like looking at every bad thing they've ever done and like pointing the finger and saying, you're in trouble, then you probably shouldn't point the finger and tell them that they're in trouble, right? right? Like that's not just scaring someone into like belief. Like you don't, yeah. it doesn't work. Well, yeah, it's the, it's the dad's coming home from work. Right. And he's going to find out. And so you're, and there may, yeah, there may be behavior modification that yeah. happens, but there's no heart change uh, that can happen through that. But there is heart change that can happen through, learning to understand each other and actually caring about like, like I could sit here and tell you all the things I think and believe about many different topics. Um, but if I want to have any, you know, chance of convincing you of any of them, uh, I probably need to hear your side of it, <laughs> you right. know, and, uh, you know, just care a little bit about what you think. Otherwise it really is just all about me feeling good about myself. You know. Yeah, and and I think that's that is a lot of a lot of it was uh, at least for me growing up uh, in the church was reflected in kind of what you were saying about um, trying to tamp down sin, um, limit the potential of me going to hell and trying to my best to do what I thought was the most godly thing. Um, 
while um, simultaneously, uh, you know, feeling immense shame for all the masturbating I was doing, (laughs) you know, and like wrestling with all that and, and being like, why am I not able to be this person that I want to be? Isn't this, isn't this what you want, God? Why, why is this? um, I know that prayer well. Oh, I (laughs) I mean, literally we have songs of that prayer. So yeah, no, it's, it's, it, it's very much uh, decades of my, of my life. Um, But I think, I think a lot of it too, going back to some of your earlier comments about, working on your your own your own stuff and uh and for me i'll just speak for me i won't i won't put this on to your own experience but at least listening to you made me think about my own uh struggles with uh self-love and self-hatred and needing to be like well i i am worthy of love and um friendship and relationships and um, and encouragement and support, and I'm not a total piece of garbage, and and that I'm 35 now, and that's still something I'm talking about in therapy. You know, it's still it's hard. Yeah. Um, to uh, because a lot of that toxic theology I grew up with of that, you know, I'm I'm you know being hammered into me as a as a kid that. I'm terrible, horrible sinner, and um, I'm not worth anything. The only reason I'm worth anything is because God let Jesus save me from my horrible um, sinner self. And that sort of way of thinking about a child, like, well, I guess if there's no escaping sin and I'm a terrible sinner, then... And so it's just decades of that sort of repetition that I'm... And it's not clear to you and maybe even to the people saying it to you that they're in the same boat when they're telling you that, right? Like, if that's true of you, then that has to be true of them too. Right. But as a teenager, that doesn't come through. You just see a pastor who must be perfect, right? uh, except kind of a jerk or whatever, and you just think, well, I'll never be that guy. You know, um, so I just I talked about this on a previous episode. I just finished reading. Uh, are you familiar with Pete Holmes? No, comedian. He has a podcast. Um, he uh, just wrote a book called Comedy Sex God, and so a lot of his what we're talking about is a reflection of his own experience too, growing up and um, and a lot of the shame and. Um, embarrassment of growing up in the church and being a Christian and trying to um, figures out figure out his own stuff. But he has this part where he talks about that when he went to church, he believed everything that the adults told him because they're adults. And at the same time, they're these unpaid volunteers teaching you the secrets of the universe in their free time <laughs> and they you you don't know necessarily the damage they might be doing because they're doing it out of the what they think is right, right. what they think is true but uh it, and their own brokenness yeah you know yeah and, and so it's it can be it's and there some sunday school teachers own beliefs that might not be the same beliefs of the church might be seeping into 
Oh, that never happens. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's it's it was um you know, it it's it's rough. And um and so I'm I went through a period of um deconstruction sort of just like um breaking down every thing that I believed um and now I'm in what I'm what is essentially a reconstruction period um trying to make sense of what I don't believe and what I do believe and ch changing some definitions which I think has been I think a necessary thing for me I think the definitions of certain words they can carry a lot of baggage yeah and um something I wouldn't have been able some things I wouldn't have been able to say six years ago that I'm starting to think about how I want to reframe my own my own beliefs um but anyway I don't mean to no I mean that's you know, it's it's interesting because one of the things I've learned as a parent is um, the message that I mean to send uh, doesn't matter. What matters is the message that my children receive. Uh, and a lot of times I have a really good intention of wanting to teach them something that I think is very important or whatever. But um, but the message they receive is something very different. Um, and I mean it. You know, I don't have a specific example, but, you know, uh, a situation might be that, you know, the, the father goes off to work every day uh, and never sees his children. And he knows that he came from an immigrant family who never had any money. And now he's like working two jobs to make sure that his kids can go to college. And his whole life is consumed with providing for the people that he loves. Uh, and his kids experience is well, dad must not like me because he's never around. Um, and so I think these things are super important. And I, I mean, I had a similar experience growing up where my dad came out of Catholicism, very jaded, um, and had become, you know, a Baptist and like the theology is night and day there. Uh, and so he heard this whole idea of, you know, Jesus dying for you. And it's, it's only, ba you know, you're saved by faith and these kinds of things. Um, which is the opposite of the Catholic guilt kind of stereotype, uh, earn your way into heaven. And so he hammered me with that. And on one hand, I still believe that. And on the other, I think that, um, you know, he meant to do a good thing by teaching his son what he believed was the most important thing in the world. And at the same time, since all I seemed to get was, like, if you say this prayer, then everything's going to be okay because it doesn't matter what you do. The result was I didn't think about anybody else. Right. You know, I didn't think about loving other people. Uh, Became transactional. Right. And so, and I don't think that that was his intention to teach me. Um, I think he was just trying to, like, really make sure I understood that I couldn't earn my way into heaven or whatever. Uh, and... And as a result, I kind of tried to earn my way into heaven, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. so it's kind of this weird, uh, I don't know exactly how that happened, but it's had to become a thing that, you know, I've had to come to terms with of like, oh, like, I actually think like Christianity is about something 
fairly significantly different or at least much bigger than just getting into heaven or even getting everybody into heaven you know like like it i don't know i think it's it's very much about how we treat people and that we're kind to people and that we're doing the best that we can to help other people whether or not they're going to listen to our theology like you know I mean, my church gives free cars to single moms away. They don't make sure that they say the right prayer before they do that. They care about the community, and they're going to do something about the community. They're not handing out tracts. Right. You know, like, well, okay, here's your car, but here's 30 things you need to believe now. Right. It's just kind of like, hey, we care that you're in a bad spot, and we want to help you. Uh, and if they experience like genuine love from strangers that way and become interested in what motivates them to want to behave that way then great i think that's kind of more of the christian kind of concept is like let's love each other because it's right and then if people want to know more about that then good but really that's i mean the bible says that that's all god's doing like every person who comes to him is really because like he set it up to be that way which is a hard that's a whole discussion in itself right like what does that imply about the people who don't believe in hell and whether that's real and all that stuff it's not easy topics right um if they were we'd all agree on them (laughs) i i love Um, i love those topics and i don't sometimes i think that um the the level to which i want to go deep on some of these like that's a i think it's another podcast right that's a whole episode of just (laughs) one conversation right and that bring back for part two yeah right get into that stuff <laughs> and there's i mean there's times where like i really do i mean i'm a very analytical person i think through a lot of this stuff very carefully uh and it just pains me to see either christians who are living in such a way where they clearly have not figured out and i i mean i'm 40 right like i thought i had it all right at 20 now i'm 40 <laughs> i and I, at least i know i can't possibly have it all right but yeah. there's no way like if I if the sixty year old me looks at me now, he's gonna be like, God, that kid was an idiot, you know. So, um, I think that's just the process. But um, but shouldn't shouldn't that be the case? Like, shouldn't we always be like? I hope I look back as at, at sixty and be like, oh man, like but that means I've I, like. I'm progressing. I'm growing. If I looked back and right now was at, at my 20 year old self, I'm like, oh man, that guy ruled. <laughs> then you guys would be like, uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, but why does it have to be that way too, right? Like, I agree with you. Yeah. Because that's the world we live in. And there's a part of me that goes, okay, so if this God thing is for real, why? Why does it have to be that we're all screwed up and have to like spend our entire lives like struggling through everything to finally get a glimpse of truth when he could have just made it all super obvious and we could all have great time you know and so those are the kinds of things where it's like well uh i don't have the answer for that (laughs) so i'm just gonna keep going with what i have i would say that i mean i think as much as there there is struggle Um, and I'm just going to speak from my experience because obviously, I mean, this is all, this is all in, in speaking from a particular context, you know, because, um, 
everybody somebody else's experience it's um certainly going to be different but i feel like um this this is um what i'm living now is the best it is the worst at times but it's also the best that i do get to experience life at all um and i'm grateful that i even uh have some some level of awareness of of um of this of this life because uh and that i've lived as long as i have and to live in a time that i do um because i'm not uh i'm not to me i'm not going to operate under the assumption uh that i'm guaranteed any other chance or opportunity to live past this one life um because i'm i'm just not i'm just not convinced otherwise of it um so i you know some people will say well i i think you know people talk about heaven and i think that there are times where you could argue that um we could make our own experience right now on earth if we lived in a way a more loving and enlightened way we could make it more uh, i'm not talking like some sort of utopia but that we could live out a more christ-like heaven uh, kingdom of heaven now sort of way that he was preaching um that that could be that could be a more christian reality rather than the sort of personal relationship that a lot of christianity makes jesus like you know jesus is your boyfriend sort of thing i'm in love with jesus and um and make it more about more about the people and the transformation right like isn't that what the the hope is to have some sort of a a heart transformation a mind transformation and um and you know not be like well you know just you know i'm not i'm not really staying here just passing through to the right. next life yeah. and well, i think i mean when you look at what jesus talked about there was way more of him talking about bringing heaven to earth right. than bringing earth to heaven you know right. um and so i mean you know the the term kingdom of god is used a lot uh in the bible and it's like when you really understand what that means he's not talking about some cosmic realm he's talking about like the the state of the world in which he is in charge you know and that he, like it's his it's his domain or whatever and um and not a lot of people like that idea um but uh but the idea would be like we are going to treat each other better you know like that we are going to look out out for each other and be more concerned with someone else than ourselves which is super hard especially in you know modern american society like uh i mean you know i work at an evangelical mega church which is like you know a, a terrible f thing to say <laughs> in a lot of circles um but uh 
because of the stereotypes that there are now about what that means about how people treat each other because that's the like the predominant like uh narrative among that term is like trump supporter hates all the immigrants hates all the gay people like and i'm like well that's not the evangelical christians i know for the most part (laughs) there might be a couple of them that snuck in there but um you know we are generally trying to you know we i mean we break it down to we don't we're not trying to do good things in order to earn salvation or earn god's approval we do good things because we have salvation and god's approval and so it's like when you've been given a lot, like then you have it to give away. And then you do want to share what you have with other people because it's a good experience. And I've had to be very honest with myself at times in, in my life where I go, I really shouldn't be telling people about Jesus because A, I'm not a good example at all. And B, I'm not even sure I'm, I've got anything like that I've actually experienced that's all that great about being a Christian at depending on the time of my life. I could say that now, but uh, in the past it was like being a Christian's really been a hassle more than anything and just a lot of guilt and a lot of, you know, feeling like I'm not good in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's what Jesus wanted for anyone based on what he, you know, what the Bible says he said and did. Um, he was very welcoming to people uh, who society rejected. And it pains me to see Christianity portrayed on the media and probably accurately most of the time as being very intolerant, very us versus them, you know, America first, that kind of thing. Because I just and, and, and the fact that people can can actually say those things and say Trump's defending Christianity. Or whatever. Right. Like, no, he's really not. Like, no. he's saying the word, I, I, you know, I support Christians or whatever. But his actions are the exact opposite of the concepts of Christianity, as far as I can understand. Um, I think as far as most people understand. He's... Well, I hope so. But, <laughs> but, but that appears not to be the case, right? Because right. seemingly the majority, or at least a very large portion of you know, American people who call themselves Christians, whatever that means to them, because it means different things to everybody, um, unfortunately, um, they think he's right on and he's he's a great dude and who's who's just doing the best stuff for, you know, making sure that Christianity is the state, uh, the state religion, essentially, or that's what they want. And, you know, I mean, people wanted that kind of thing in Jesus day as well. And wanted him to do similar things like that, overthrow the government and stuff. So it's nothing new. It's just very disappointing that uh, history continues to repeat that way and that people who, you know, associate themselves with with what I seem to see as something that's about caring about other people, uh, they turned it into, I'm more important than you and whatever I want is what I should get. Um, It's just so hypocritical right and you know in someone like creflo dollars case how many how much how much of a money you can get for a new private jet right you know or any of these other televangelists that are fleecing poor people out of their you know hard-earned money so they can get a you know 
plant a prayer seed to grow their own wealth. Right. You know, the scary thing I think about is what if they really believe that? (laughs) Like, what if they really think that they're doing the best possible job of being a Christian and that's why they have all this money? And if, gosh, well, if I can do it, then what's wrong with you? Like, you just got to do the same thing I do and then you'll be rich too. And that's what God wants. Like, no, that's. That's well, pretty much the opposite of what <laughs> is is taught. Well, this is this is something that I think is fundamentally broken in our country, and it's t- something that I don't know exactly when it started being taught, or if it's just this pervasive in media. Um, is that so many people in this country, when they think, when you look at the way people vote, and you're like you're actively voting you're like actively voting to help make these people richer and they're giving themselves tax cuts while taking away your health care and all your benefits and and why is that and some and people are like still opposed to taxing the ultra super wealthy and and it's because they People don't think, well, I'm not rich. It's that they're not rich yet. That Hmm. people still think, well, when I'm rich, when I'm there, when I get my big break, I don't want to be taxed that way. And I think it's this, this sort of American ideal that anybody can make it. Anybody can make it big and get rich when it's rigged in a way that that's not going to happen. Most people are not going to be millionaires and billionaires, but uh, these somehow many have been convinced that it's in the cards for them. Just not yet. They'll get there though. Yeah. I, I think uh, it's hard for me to even imagine that kind of mindset. Um it's fairly obvious to me I'm never going to be rich <laughs> or or well let me amend that it's obvious to me I'm never going to be rich like the people we call rich um and at the same time like you know my I'm my wife's Filipino I've gone to the Philippines and I've seen what poverty looks True like poverty and you know when they tell you on the on on these TV ads and stuff like you know growing up like oh they you know live on two dollars a day or whatever and you're like you can't even conceive of what that means like oh well there just must be no work and uh and no like oh these people are out there 16 hours a day trying to sell some trinket on the side of the road because that's how they're going to feed their family like like no they work their tails off for that five dollars a day or whatever it is and this is all that they have and all they're ever probably going to have because that's the only opportunity that's there for them. So, so I mean, when we talk about, I mean, I'm constantly checking myself about, you know, my entitlements and expectations about, sure. you know, I mean, oh, I drive a 10-year-old car. Well, it's it's getting a little rusty now and stuff. And, boy, it, I could probably afford to just trash this and buy a new one now. You know, it would be justified. Um, and at the same time, I go, what a waste that would be. You know, what? why would I spend what money I have on, like, a nicer version of the thing that I already have. I mean, I've been looking at guitars, right? Like Mm -hmm. everybody likes guitars. Sure. Uh, I have two, I have a few guitars. 
I have more than I need, certainly. I'm not even that good of a guitar player. Uh, and yet here I am looking at uh, building a custom guitar because it would be blue. <laughs> you know, now it's a little more complicated than that. There's very specific features that I would like to have in a guitar and all that stuff. But you know what? I'm not taking guitar lessons with that money. Um, I want, I feel entitled now that I have a job and my band's doing okay. It's not making money, but I'm, you know, I'm playing in front of people. I should have the absolute nicest guitar that I could possibly want. Uh, and I found a way to do that at a reasonable price, right? So why wouldn't I do it? Well, because I'm going to sell a couple of my guitars and spend a bunch more money that I could spend on something better just to have a blue one. Because uh, I really like blue, you know. Um, that's rich. Like, right. the fact that I can even think about doing that, I mean, I could do that right now if I wasn't going to, if I wasn't, like, ultra cheap, right? <laughs> like, that, that would be an easy purchase for me. And it'd be a huge waste, you know? Um, and so there's just stuff like that that I'm, you know, I just think everybody, everybody should think of themselves in America as very wealthy, unless they're, like, genuinely homeless, um, because... Any of us who are driving a car are in whatever the top 1% of all the richest people in the world right now. And, you know, just because, I mean, I live in, you know, a pretty nice area. I go to a church with a lot of, like, people who are much wealthier than I am who have two incomes. And they have a nice house over in Inverness, and it's beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, and these are what my friends have, and they're driving Teslas. And, you know, and it's justified in their income. And, oh, I really want that. Uh, but why do I want that? Like, why does that matter? Um, but for some reason, we're humans, and we always want what we don't have, and we keep striving for, I mean, even in the band, like, oh, well, we did these great things. Well, as soon as I'm done with that, I'm disappointed that I didn't play this festival or didn't open for this band or don't have, you know, 100,000 followers on, on YouTube or whatever. And it's like, I guess it's just that constant striving for more, and I think that's part of, to bring it back around, what is driving you know, the, a lot of the political discussion of just like everybody always wants more and always wants better and wants to step on anybody that they need to in order to get there. And if you're coming in here illegally, like suddenly the people who are, you know, getting, getting lots of government money for their farm are against welfare. And the people who are, you know, cheating on their taxes are really mad at the illegal immigrants it's like no we're all right. in the same boat why are you making yourself out to be something better well it's because it's you and you want to believe that you're a good person and that you deserve good things and uh you know my president over there says these guys are animals so it's easy to believe that when you aren't happy with who you are and where you are in your life you know so i think um I just think the more we become aware of that kind of thing and the more we start being concerned with um, concerned with other people and what, what their needs are yeah. rather than what our needs are, like that's that's what love is. You know, that's that's true concern. And I don't think I have to have a relationship with the homeless guy on the street to think, you know what, I need to give that guy the $5 I have in my pocket. It's not going to change his life, but he needs it more than I do. And that's something kind that I can do for that guy. And, you know, I don't always give that guy that money. And and that didn't used to bother me because I used to tell stories about, well, he's just going to buy drugs and this and that. It's like, right. it's not really my problem what he's going to do with it. I'm going to try to do my best 
to do something kind because maybe I just need the practice being kind more than he needs the $5. You know what I mean? So that was kind of a rant in a bunch of different, different directions, but <laughs> that's, that's I hope it here. kind of made sense <laughs> yeah. to some degree. I, I have three thoughts. <laughs> Number one, thank you for your time and for your candor. I think it's been a great conversation. Not that I'm saying it has to be done. Number two, <laughs> I think we should pause to hear some of Snake in the Grass, the new that. single. And number three, uh, we'll come back and hear a final verdict on uh, Red versus Pink, Starburst. Cool. Cool. <laughs> well, let's take a listen to... Snake in the Grass. Snake in the Grass.
snake in the grass and um it's a banger so it's one of your uh, it's your first single since making friends the lag wagon cover that you guys did last year what was the impetus to do that lag wagon song um so actually we recorded it before we even got back together um I don't know if you guys saw there was a documentary called a fat wreck about fret records Mm -mm. um that was really cool Uh, i had a lot of puppets in it which was interesting Um, (laughs) speak my language (laughs) but uh actually no it was a really cool uh documentary just on the early days of fat wreck and how it came about and all the bands that were uh that started it um and so at the time they had kind of put out a call like just for covers of early fat wreck bands um and uh and we weren't together but we were talking like we had kind of started writing a song but not really and uh i think dan just said like hey what if we did it i think he just said like let's just do making friends this way and like sent us a phone demo of him just playing a riff and uh you know i wasn't doing anything (laughs) like it was like yeah that sounds like fun like i it'd be cool to have something out there and whatever. And so, uh, so that happened very like separate, like, and, uh, I didn't even hear, I didn't hear it until it was basically done except for vocals. Um, and when I heard it, I was like, Whoa, this is very different from the original and really cool. And I love how fast it is. It's, it, it was, it was a surprise to me too. So like, and then I just did my thing. Like this was the very first thing when I ever recorded anything on my computer. I just like go download Reaper and let's see what I can do. And, uh, and so, you know, I just kind of sang over it the way I thought it should be. And then I started playing like, well, I can do harmonies here now. So I just started adding like layers of harmonies and stuff. And so I like to say it, came out like if bad religion covered lag wagon because it's pretty much just straight up ripping off what bad religion sounds like um but uh that's not have there's no problem with that (laughs) right exactly so uh but speaking of i mean we were talking about you know just loving the guys in the band and what they do like yeah like the chords that dan used on that song were like stuff we'd never done and it was just so cool like the the drumming style was very different just really energetic and then the bass lines were just like that was literally and i've told him this the bass lines on that cover were what made me want to get back get the band back together because i was like if this is what we can do with a cover like let's write some music you know yeah um so anyway and the and then so it it's been out there on Bandcamp for years just kind of floating and um so pretty recently as i was preparing to kind of get the new music out i was like well now i can release a couple old things uh on spotify or whatever and so that's why it came out in the last few months or whatever that it did but um and people seem to really like it and it's like one of my favorite things to play live too like i'll fight for that to be in the set (laughs) people are like well people want us we only play like five shows a year people probably want to hear our stuff yeah and i really want to play that lag wagon (laughs) nobody's going to be mad that we played lag wagon uh so yeah so it's it's fun i'm into it a lot (laughs) um we're there was what else were we did you have something else that we were gonna that's 
That's it for me. It's all for I need you. that Starburst verdict. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I need to taste these two very specific Starbursts yeah, yeah, and tell yeah. you which ones taste better. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Now, not, like I said, normally I go with the red first, and then I'm surprised by the pink. Mm. So um, I'm gonna turn it around. Do we have a? Uh, do we have any water? More water for him, so <laughs> yeah. we can he can spit out. Clint, no, <laughs> cleanse his palate. I was gonna say. There's water. no need for that, Sorry. man. It's it's sugar. I'm very happy. With. <laughs> All right, see, this is this is this is the guy who gets it. <laughs> the, Crinkle it, savor it. Is pudding the starburst into his mouth you know ASMR. yeah my <laughs> wife's gonna turn it off if she's bothered she doesn't want to listen to me for two and a half hours i don't know who will but just tell her to fast forward to this part <laughs> honey you gotta hear this <laughs> all right so the pink. chewing the chew oh so you went pink first yeah that is very tasty yeah right mm-hmm. initial thoughts <laughs> um it's been a while since i had a starburst actually it's it's, it's it, uh, well, it's been how, a while. <laughs> there it is. Yes. I think we have our third pod host. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, yeah, that's good. I mean, really, isn't much the same. Just sort of like stained. Isn't that kind of what you were going for? Actually, much, uh, much the stained. We had a we had an early review that said something about. It was like the first real review we ever had. And the guy said we sounded like uh, was it the replacements the the th- I could walk a thousand miles uh, band proclaimers that's the band uh, yeah a favorite unmagnified pod <laughs> right like and I and it even said like they probably don't want to be compared to this band I'm like I don't know what you hear there but oh, this guy's reaching so anyway that's so stained the proclaimers <laughs> I love it it's bringing all our worlds together yeah it's all good Nickelback. The Prostainers. <laughs> I think it's about time the world had that super group. <laughs> um, okay. All right. Moving so that was red. pink. Pink was delicious. Let's okay, go for okay. red now. This is it. This is the moment mm. of truth. Hmm. How's it, how's it stack up? <laughs> I'm getting like a cherry Coke flavor, which yeah, is really, yeah, 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 really yeah. good. Hmm. Like that? Yeah. It's... Uh, there it is let me get that yes, into Perfect. it um i think i i think i just prefer whatever i had second is just how it goes now eg because that red the red is super good yeah red riders red riders <laughs> all right so sorry to disappoint that's right you know i mean my, my wife betrayed me in our last episode by going pink <laughs> so i'm glad i have a new partnership your uh, wife and your son right yeah, Both he did. went pink oh, on yeah. you. Has he actually eaten it? Did he eat it? No, remember. he didn't eat it, but he just uh, Jenny asked which one he preferred. <laughs> oh, right. oh, okay. Red or yeah. pink, and he said pink. So He's betrayed me. <laughs> um, okay. Well, that was the most important thing we did tonight. <laughs> now everything I say is like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... Still in my teeth. Yeah. Um, as if we haven't plugged it enough. Pick up much the same as new record. Everything is fine next month. Um, Let me plug real quick, too, because yeah. I don't know if we said this. Uh, so it's out on three different labels if you want the physical copies. So there's Thousand Islands Records in Canada. Um, who we, are, do, we do have some Canadian listeners up yeah. in the sketch. I'm so. sure you do, because uh, especially Quebec, the, the punk scene is just nuts up there right now. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so that's our North American label. You can buy it from them in the States, the States 
shipping is super cheap. Everybody keeps asking who we're going to put it out on in the U.S. And nope, that's we're going with those guys. Um, and then uh, Lockjaw Records in the U.K. is covering Europe. And P Records in, uh, in Australia. Uh, and each of them have different exclusive colored vinyl and exclusive t-shirt bundles. Lockjaw's got a cool hoodie uh, that has a, a, a sh- the Shining uh, version of a t-shirt that we've been wanting to make forever. That's cool. Uh, Is the P one a yellow vinyl? Actually, no. <laughs> Why not? I don't know. No, theirs is like a blue ghost. That's I think cool it's transparent too. blue. I like blue ghost. Uh, uh, John, can you can you <laughs> plug the uh, can you plug the record in your Australian accent? <laughs> uh, you got to give me a little more notice. <laughs> Coming out on P Records, much the same legendary Chicago punk rock band. Pick it up on our Blue Ghosts <laughs> special edition. That's the best that's, I can do right now. It's not bad. <laughs> we we toured with the Decline from uh, from Australia not that long ago, and it's kind of like I'll being to, back there. I'll so. have to ask them how they. Yeah, they they surprised me with like uh, they don't say how you doing, and I'm not gonna try the accent, Zay. but they say how you going. How you going? Which just blew my mind. So crikey. Uh, yeah, I don't. There wasn't a lot of crikeys in no, there. Okay, but. never mind. <laughs> But uh, yeah, the, de- the decline. Very good, very Did, good uh, Australian band. Gonna, another Australian band that we throw around, Frenzelram. You ever oh, yeah. you ever play with Frenzelram? We haven't. Uh, I would yet. like to. Body Jar, huge sure, band in sure. in Australia. Not so huge here, but no, I huge had, influence though on us. Big, very big influence. I feel on, like they had us. a song, like a, a single, like twenty years ago that. I picked up somehow um, back when I was in high school that I don't know I don't know how I came about hearing hearing uh, a song but yeah I'm, I'm only vaguely familiar with them I probably should be probably should be more yeah Body Jar is a fantastic band actually I think I think their last album had a song as we were listening to it that was like exactly the same as one of our n- new songs. I'll have to go back and listen to it again. But we were we were laughing like, wait, what? What are we listening to right now? <laughs> Didn't we write this song? Yeah. Um, wouldn't be the first time we ripped off Body Jar, though. Yeah, well, I need to look up. What is this song that I... Not the same. Yeah. That's, that's the... Fantastic song. That's the song that I remember. So it was, yeah, 2000. So it was about almost 20 years ago. Yeah. There you go. There it is. Not the same, much the same. Yeah. It's all coming together. Uh, no use for a name. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's why we named our band much the same, actually, because yeah. we sound like no use for a name. And so. Um, <laughs> so when you settled on the name much the same. Terrible idea. Uh, <laughs> Just awful. Stupidest thing ever. <laughs> well, I was wondering if you were like it, writing reviews in your head. <laughs> it's like... Um, headlines <laughs> headlines much for like it's like much of the same yeah. for you know yeah every every guy has thought who's written that review and there have been many have has thought that he was <laughs> I'm so clever. really clever yeah uh no that was yeah um new album for much the same anything but yeah <laughs> nailed it <laughs> please file uh i i think i actually the one of the labels was asking us to go find old reviews 
to like use for press and so i went back to like i found an old alternative press that had and it was Just like, like the proclaimers it was like, it was like <laughs> much the same more like improved was the subtitle and then the whole review basically just said hey these guys kind of managed not to suck anymore like four stars like what so weird not no quotable thing in that review at all um (laughs) i I feel like a lot of those old in case anyone was thinking about listening to our music just don't apparently (laughs) i think a lot of those old alternative press uh snippet reviews were i think didn't do a lot of those bands because they were like what six sentences yeah, at most they were pretty short and but really how much are you going to read about an album you'd have never heard before and may not ever like so i can understand give it a good like this is great or this sucks and leave it at that. Right. Um, but you will listen to a three hour podcast <laughs> just to be clear. Yeah, for how, sure. How time, how times have, have changed that it's like, um, Oh, this band I've heard of. I don't, I don't want to hear any new ones. What do these two jabronis from Chicago have to think about yeah. punk rock from the nineties? Yeah. This is uh, what, this is what an avenue we've, we've carved out for ourselves. Um, all right, should we should we drive this thing on home? I think we should. Okay, uh, yes, much the same. Get the new record. Uh, if you want to give us some feedback about this app or about anything else, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. You can rate and review us and smash that subscribe button <laughs> wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, what else can they do? They can leave us a voicemail at 872-762-4763, 877-MAGPOD. What about that email? They can hit us up at... What about it? I don't know, man. They can hit us up at magnifiedpod at gmail.com. If you want to support us, hit us up at patreon.com slash magnifiedpod. Get some of that merch at magnifiedpod.storeandry.com. And uh, what else do we have to say? Anything else? Um, I think that's it. I think that's it. All I don't right. think we we know. I think maybe the next, probably one of the next episodes we're gonna do is gonna be uh, launching into Five Iron because I so. John and I feel like we need to say this um, because this is an actual gonna be an actual use of the of this horn. Uh-huh. Um, so this is our fortieth episode, Ooh. and when this airs. It will be one day before we launched this podcast a year ago. Special day. So June eighteenth wow. uh, is our one year podiversary. All right. Well. <laughs> so yes, uh, it's it's a big. It's I can't believe it's been a year. That's crazy. Um, it's been a while. It's it's been a while. Um, my favorite much the same song. Uh, <laughs> So it's not uh, that thousand miles song. I think so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Aren't they? Aren't much the same? They're from Scotland, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so. When I hate that. <laughs> um, yeah, we we all we all know that Chris McGrath havers right. a lot, and deep cuts, he's yeah. a havering kind of guy. So um, thank you everybody for yeah. <laughs> being with us for our. Um, hundreds of hours of of podcasting yes. and that um joining us on our next journey into another band it'll yeah. be it'll be a good time 
Brother Milestone. Thanks, Chris, for joining us for this yeah, important occasion. Yeah, thanks for occasion. having me. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it's join close us. to my house. It's great. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> join us on the next episode when it'll be about time for a podcast at our house. And it wouldn't be the same without you. So join us, won't you? Pink boy. I'm a pink boy. That's right. <laughs>